This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. My nine-year-old daughter tells me that I'm more likely to be struck by lightning then win the Mega Millions jackpot. And yet, just before the show, I looked up and went, you know, I got a few minutes here. I've already written a column today. I'm all prepped for the show. I got my phone with me in case, you know, all hell breaks loose and USC or UCLA decide they're coming back to the Pac-12 conference or Oregon or Oregon State join the Mountain, uh, excuse me, if Oregon State joins the Mountain West conference or if Stanford and Cal go to the ACC, is that going to happen? But I I ended up scrambling out and going to my nearest grocery store where they have a kiosk where uh, you can insert your hard-earned money and in exchange get a small piece of paper with some numbers printed on it. As I was uh, printing out the ticket, I heard a voice from over my shoulder. It was from my favorite checker, who, by the way, calls into this show. And happens to be a big Oregon Ducks fan. He believes that Oregon to the Big Ten Conference is a great move for the Ducks. And it might very well be a great move for the Ducks. Maybe they have fortified their position in the Big Ten division of what will be college football. That's something, that's a real thing we need to talk about. Because we've done, we've kind of done for the Pac-12 Conference... And uh, we've talked a lot about what happens or what might happen to Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal, the teams left behind. I'm watching the Arizona schools and Utah sort of forge new relationships in the Big 12, even though they have one more football season, one more men's basketball season to go. There's just a little bit of, uh, you know, hey, we're excited to be in the Big 12. Hey, you know, it's like uh, it's like a, a musical act or a band that's traveling city to city on tour. I'm sure when Taylor Swift is in Inglewood, she's like, what's up, Inglewood? And gets a big cheer for it. What's up, Seattle? Gets a big cheer for it. Um, There's a little bit of what's up, Big 12, what's up, Big 10 going on with the schools that have realigned. Uh, But uh, I got my Mega Millions tickets. Steven, did you buy? Did you? Are you going to win a billion and a half dollars or are you not into this? Um, I surely hope so. I was in it uh, last week, didn't win. So we haven't bought any for this week. So I don't, I don't know unless the wife, uh, Coach Vaughn, goes out and buys some real quick. I don't yes. think we're out. Do you need to call her right now? I and might just have say, to, yeah. Hey, uh, I think the kiosk closed down at like 7. So you have people have till 7 o'clock tonight and it's $1.55 billion. It's so I think it's the largest lottery jackpot ever. And it gets me thinking about, like, you know, what I would do, right? That's that's part of me when I buy the ticket. I tried to explain this to the nine-year-old. Like, part of it is, yes, I would I would love to have a dog in the fight, so to speak, when this uh, drawing takes place. And I have a lot of friends who do not believe they play the odds, they play the numbers, they do not believe that the lottery is a good investment. 
I do not think you should be investing any money that you can't afford to lose in the lottery. But a couple of bucks, you got a ticket, you got a dog in the fight, you have a chance. And where my mind starts to go, because I'm actually surprised when I don't win. Like last week, I was surprised. I don't know why. I was surprised that I did not win the billion dollars last week. And I was like, gosh, you know, uh, what went wrong there? What happened? What could I have done better? All of those things. But I got to thinking, like, part of the part of the draw of this draw is that you literally have the opportunity as you're walking from the kiosk and the duck fans yelling at you, you know, hey, you're less, you're, the odds are against you, whatnot, all of that stuff. Uh, you have the ability to dream a little bit. Like, my mind went to sports places as I had that ticket in my hand. And my mind went, you know what, what would I do with a billion and a half dollars? Would I take the cash payout or would I take the over 20 years option? I'd probably take the payout. Give me the money now. Um, and how much would that be after taxes? I think you're talking about like half of that for most of the estimates based on various states. And so, you know, you're only talking about, you know, $700 million or so as you're walking away from the kiosk. But $700 million, you can buy some things with that. $700 million, uh, you could probably put together a media deal for a major conference. $700 million, you could uh, you could buy uh, maybe ownership stake, a part ownership stake in the Portland Trailblazers when they're for sale, if Jody Allen and Burt Cold ever release them from the chokehold that they have them in. They're choking them out like a UFC MMA fighter. Uh, I'm watching, like, the Gracie family over there. Like, who knew Jody Allen and Burt Cold had that in their game? Like, that they studied Brazilian jiu-jitsu for NBA teams and owners. Like, they literally have the Blazer fan base inside in some reverse chokehold uh choking them out like a serpent and uh but could you could you pry their fingers from off the blazers organization and team up with alan smolinski and phil knight and put a couple hundred million into the blazers and be able to sit courtside and pretend like you have some kind of influence and power that you really don't have with the team or you know i even said uh you know i tried to facetime Anna and the nine-year-old and the seven-year-old, they're out uh, bebopping around. I tried to FaceTime them as I was leaving, and I was going to tell them, like, hey, man, uh, I, needless to say, while you guys are out, you know, enjoying the sunshine, I'm over here making a billion and a half dollars. I don't know what you did today. But I thought to myself, would I continue doing this radio show? If I win tonight, would I continue to do the radio show? Would you show up to work the next day, Stephen? Um, probably not the next day. And it, it, if I win the grand prize, I probably, I'd probably quit or I come in and I try to, you know, make my job even easier or something. Why don't you just buy the station? Yeah. Move it to your house. Like that might be it that. too. But yeah. it, it, I, we have talked about this. Me and, uh, me and my wife have talked about this as well. Like if we won like, you know, the $1 million prize or whatever that is, I'd come into work tomorrow. I would still work, but it, you for know, a million. The, the million. But how about a billion? No, the billion. I probably tell Judah, "Hey, I'm going to take the day off. Um, I'll see you next week." Kind of selfish. That is N- not really thinking of your coworkers no. now that you're a billionaire. That uh, is that what bil- how billionaires act? They only care about themselves. I probably pay. Is them that off, what you're though. saying? Hey, Judah, I'll give you a thousand dollars. I'm taking the week off. <laughs> thousand bucks, awful generous of you, man. Uh, here's what I think I would do. I actually think I wouldn't tell anybody, and I think for a little while, I, while I plotted. My uh, my uh, you know path to this. I think I would take the winning ticket. I would stick it in a safe deposit box at a bank, and I think I'd sit on it for a little bit. Not a year, because you have a year to cash it in. But I would sit on it for a little bit. Why not create a little bit of intrigue and drama around it? Why not? Uh, why not? Uh, you know, get yourself get get in contact with an attorney and say, okay, 
I got a problem here because it is a problem because you know how many friends you'd have after after winning a billion and a half dollars you would have so many friends just saying hey Stephen I you know I just want Blazers season tickets hey Stephen I you know my my kid just wants to go see Taylor Swift in in Inglewood tomorrow night the tickets are eighteen hundred bucks hey hey Stephen you know. Uh, they're opening Reeser Stadium this season. It sure would be nice. I know. I know it's you know you have a billion and a half dollars, but wouldn't it be nice if you know you got a luxury suite for my family I, after all the childcare that we've provided for you over the years? Hey Stephen. Hey Stephen. Hey Stephen. It's death by paper cut in the end, and you'd start to understand how an NBA player or an NFL player in who is surrounded by an entourage of people just yanking at him and pulling at him at all times uh, sort of develops this uh, this coarse exterior. You know, I've always wondered, like, why, when you see a Major League Baseball player signing autographs, do some guys stop and sign and some others just walk right by? You know, why, why, doesn't, why doesn't the player stop and sign every autograph? For, for crying out loud, don't they understand how great they have it? And then you watch them over time. As a media member, I've seen athletes like Marcus Mariota, who did stop and sign a lot of times, particularly when something didn't go right in the game. I saw Mariota on the field one time after a game he lost, stop and pose for a picture with a kid. And I was like, wow, this is one of his bad moments. Um, but I, I have been around a lot of athletes where I realize, like, gosh, man, they're pulled in a million different directions, asked a million different things. And if you don't have people in your corner that you can trust, it would be a very difficult position to be in to have a pile of money and be ill-equipped to uh, deal with it, ill-equipped to, to, to put people off and to insulate yourself from all the requests and all the people who are going, hey, just one minute. I just need one minute. Hey, I just need one thing paid. Hey, my aunt. Hey, my grandma. Hey, somebody's sick. Hey, I have a friend of a friend. You would end up in that kind of position. They make documentaries about this stuff where the uh, the people who win the prize, the grand prize, end up saying in the end, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me for crying out loud. I would like to take my chances with that, but I digress. What would I do with a billion and a half dollars? What would you do from a sports standpoint? Don't tell me, hey, I'm going to pay off. Yeah, I guess you could tell me. You're paying off your mother's house, whatnot, because I would do that. I would go to my parents. I think they have a really low mortgage, and you know, they're, they've, had, they've lived in that. It's my childhood home. I asked my dad the other day what his payment was, and I almost fell out of my chair. It was so low because he's lived there since 1974. You know, He barely has a, a mortgage on the house, uh, but I would pay that off. But afterwards, I would start thinking from a sports standpoint. What do I want to do? Would I buy a luxury suite? Would I, uh, would I invest in a team? Would I fly around and uh, visit all the great ballparks that I haven't seen yet? I've been I've been to some good ones, but you know all the great places. Can I go see a baseball game in, you know, uh, in Kansas City one day, and then be in St. Louis the next day, and then Fenway Park the next day? And could you plan trips like that? What would you do from a sports standpoint? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. You hit the mega millions tonight. One point five five billion and change. You cash out, you take the lump sum offer, you're sitting on $700,000 or whatever. What do you do with it from a sports standpoint? And do you show up to work the next day? I think I would. I think I would sit here like I knew something that everybody else didn't, and I would, uh, and I would sit on it for a little while. And they'd be like, well, the winning ticket was purchased at, and we're pulling video surveillance footage to find out all the people it could possibly be. All the news stations would be buzzing about it. It would become a big story, a positive story. But what would you do? 417-7575 in the 503 area code. Let's go out to San Jose, California. Turk is on the line. Turk, what's up, man? JC, my baby, man. How you doing? Doing all right. I'm going to be a billionaire tonight, but uh, other than that, things are normal. All right. 
two things. First, if I wake up tomorrow or whenever the lottery is and I hit it, I take the day off and then I research buying racing horses. That's it. Thoroughly. You want to buy horses? You want to get in the pony business? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm all in. I'll move to Kentucky <laughs> and I'm all in. What is it about the horse racing business that seems so glamorous to you? You want to you fancy hats and mint juleps or what? No, because, well, hey, look, mint juleps, hey, bad. But you, you know your fate in a minute and 50 seconds, right? It's not like you're sitting at a casino, right? The, the great the, 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 the racing, and they take off, and you know what your bet is within a, you know, a minute and 50 yeah. seconds, two minutes. <laughs> Well, uh, look, I, <laughs> you don't have to sit there and watch a whole football game and go. Yeah, but you got a billion dollars. Oh, what do you want to be betting on a horse race for after you've won a billion dollars? No, I'm investing in horses. All right, you're all right. You're just getting in the horse racing business. You and Sam Bowie going to be out at Churchill Downs. Well, you're going to make money off it, John, because your horse is going to win, and then your yeah. investment turns into even more money. I think he's saying he just likes to be around the horses and the track. I think that's what he's saying. What would you do, Stephen? Do you have a sports angle to it? I mean, forget everything else. Is there what would be your sports uh, expenditure or that that thing you would splurge on? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I would go to Vegas and I'd make I would place a lot of bets. Like I would do that right away. Okay, uh, but you've but, won a billion and a half dollars. What's the thrill in betting? Oh, it's not always a thrill. But I would say this: the next thing I would do is I would go through like you know college football and the NFL, and I would check out like what the biggest games are, and I would start scheduling out like. To go to those games. I think okay. that would be a lot of fun for me. Bucket um, list stuff. Yeah, because I haven't really been to a lot of you know professional uh, football. I've been to a couple of Seahawks games. been to a couple Oregon, Oregon State games, but like never like the big ones. Like I want to go to LSU. I want to go to LSU at night. Like I always think that's going to be the coolest one. So I'd definitely do something like that. And then, of course, you know, we've talked about like the East Coast road trip uh, with Major League Baseball Stadium. Just go up and down the East Coast. Go to hit up all those stadiums. I think that would be one of the first things we'd do. All right, I'll buy that. But but going to place wagers on games in Vegas. Just party in Vegas for a little bit. After you've won the biggest lottery prize in history, that's kind of like bringing sand to the beach. Yeah. You know? You know what? I just, I love Vegas. I can go there all the time. Go to Vegas. I'm not telling you not to go to Vegas, but I just, I'm like, where's the, because I've always wondered like with, with, uh, you know, professional athletes who are making millions of dollars. Haven't you ever wanted to put down like a $100,000 bet on something? Uh, you'd probably get pretty quickly desensitized to how much a hundred thousand dollars is. You know, do you think yeah, you think that true. would happen? Like pretty soon, the money wouldn't have. It's like when you play the casino wants you to do that anyway. Well, that's why you play with chips in the casino and not money at the tables. That you forget what it is and what it represents, and you're just gambling. It's just chips. It's not money. You lose the association with it. But I I kind of wonder like yeah you know maybe that's why we see people like Phil Mickelson placing and Floyd Mayweather placing these huge wagers Drake placing these huge wagers because it's not enough to win a thousand dollars right that's nothing it they have to place huge wagers to do it I don't know if the casino would take your bets go in the high roller room play some blackjack see who's in there with you let's go to Kinzer who's in Roseburg listening on 1490 AM hey welcome to the show hey welcome to you first time caller appreciate it Obviously, uh, any solid athlete would just bet on themselves. I've been a golfer my whole life. I've been chasing that stupid little white ball around forever. I've always thought I could be as good as the best out there. And even though I'm 50 years old, 
I wouldn't hesitate to go after it. All uh, right. I've always I've always tried. So you would you would try to become a professional golfer? I'm not far from it. I just need luck and money. And money is a lot with golf, and traveling is a lot, and then believing in the shot is a lot. Okay. All right. I, I like that. I like you know I, that's not what I expected to get, Stephen. Like you know, here's a guy who's saying, "Hey, look, if it weren't for my job, and the fact that I don't have the time and money to go and chase my golf dream, I'm a pretty good golfer." And so, yeah, I would bet on myself and invest in making it like a full-time job, trying to be the best golfer. See if you can make some semblance of one of the minor tours or play in events and win prizes. Yeah. That's not a bad dream. Yeah, get a golf coach and uh, really coach you up. I, I love that. I love that, actually, idea. Like That's a great idea because golf is one of those things where you have to play, but you need to have time, you need to have money, and when you win that lottery, that's one of the things you actually can win is time and money. So, yeah, I like that call. There was a couple of times that just brought to mind a couple other things. Like one time, Ime Yodoka was talking about, Ime Yodoka was talking about, um, the fact that he had to go work like for FedEx while he was trying to make the NBA as a player. And he is working odd jobs around Portland and supporting himself and then going to play games, then going to work out. Brandon Roy, when he was you know, deciding uh, in college if he was going to stick it out at the University of Washington, he worked at the docks in Seattle and did manual labor, which, you know, he didn't, he didn't have the luxury of not working. And so, yeah, if you did hit like the, if you were young enough and you hit, Tonight's Mega Millions, you could go, hey, I don't need to work here. I can chase my dream, whatever that dream is. I actually think I would continue to do this show until it didn't feel fun. That's that's always been my thing. I've said that to Anna when, you know, just a few months ago, re-upped the contract, and I said, you know, I'm going to just do it till it's not fun anymore. And when it's not fun anymore, I'm going to go away. I would do the same thing if I hit the Mega Millions tonight. I'll, I'll keep doing it till it's not fun. But how about you? Let's go to the phone lines. Grace is in Portland. Grace, welcome to the conversation. Yes, hi there. Hi. Well, I've al- I've always um, I've always dreamed about okay, if I hit the big whichever Powerball, whatever, I already had I already have it figured out. I'm going to have a, a foundation because okay. then when people are asking me for for money, I'm going to have them talk to the foundation, not talk to me. And I'll already ha- I already have my board picked out. I already have it figured out what type of help I want to provide and and when you said sports related okay well then I would do kind of a make a wish thing and pay for tickets and lodging and whatever trips dreams for for kids love that or people and also I work with seniors I work with older people so I would take I would take a whole group of older people we go to a game maybe they've always been a maybe they've always been a Mets fan well let's go let's go you know whatever and um, that's how I would use it if it if it needed to be sports related. I love that. I love that. I think that's uh, that's you've, she's got a plan. She's got a plan. Uh, how about University of Oregon? Former University of Oregon assistant coach Gary Campbell. He won the lottery. Did you know that? Did you know he won the lottery? I did not know. Two thousand three went on a recruiting trip, and he was recruiting for Oregon, and he won two point six nine million dollars. He still had to go on the recruiting trip and visit the recruit and stay with his job. But he called his wife and he said, I can't believe it. We, you know, I'm on this recruiting trip. We won the lottery. Um, You know, he's continued to work at Oregon. He he didn't need the money. He just continued to work the job and be an assistant coach. And nobody really knew that, you know, he won the lottery. And by look, by today's standards, two point six nine million is not 
$1.5 billion. But Gary Campbell won the lottery on a recruiting trip. And uh, I, I knew a guy, uh, you know, one of my first newspaper stops uh, was Fresno, the Fresno Bee in Fresno, California. There was a guy named Tommy Baker who was like 70 years old, somewhere between 70 and 100. He was an older gentleman. And I, uh, I met Tommy Baker, and Tommy Baker, very low-key, blue jeans, T-shirt. He would hang out in this kind of drinking hole that was called the Elbow Room in Fresno. It's where Jerry Tarkanian would hang out and hold court. And I met Tommy Baker, and Tommy Baker, everybody in the bar knew Tommy Baker hit the lottery. He was the most understated guy ever. And Tommy Baker, who was in his 70s, 80s, or 90s, I don't know which, uh, always had like about a, a 45-year-old woman who was hanging out with him. And I would always go like, hey, does he know, like, you know, like she's probably not there for Tommy Baker. She might be there for Tommy Baker's fortune. I don't know. And people said he knows. He knows. He's well aware. Uh, you would have to worry about that. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Uh, you tell me. Give me your sports sort of splurge if you hit tonight's Mega Millions. We've got a great show for you today. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, will be along to talk about what's next for Oregon and Oregon State in particular, Stanford and Cal as well. We'll talk about whether or not the move to the Big Ten really is good for Oregon. In what way is it good? Also later in the show, Nick Daschle, who covers Oregon State, will be with us. He got a tour today of the new site of Research Stadium. I want to know his impressions on it and what is the mood in Corvallis? Leave it here. we got the BFT. $1.55 billion. That's the prize for the Mega Millions tonight. Yes, yes, I know. The words of my nine-year-old are ringing in my ears. Dad, you're more likely to get struck by lightning. And I said, yeah, it could happen. You know, could happen. Not that I want it to happen. But, hey, look, we're talking on a sports radio show about what your sports splurge would be. There's a lot up in the air now. Would you help Oregon State and Washington State go independent? That might be fun. What if you just went to uh, Scott Barnes at Oregon State and you went to Pat Chun at Washington State and you said, listen, I'm looking to burn, you know, a good uh, 30 or $60 million here over the next couple few years, and I would find no greater consolation than funding your programs with a media deal that is a private media deal. Uh, you know, you guys go independent. You guys try to go, or, or maybe you just send them off into the Mountain West and you say, okay, look, uh, the other Mountain West Conference schools will get 5 or $8 million a year in their media rights money. Boise State, I think, gets $6.8 million. Everybody else gets $5 million. Uh, but, hey, I'll continue to subsidize you like you're a Pac-12 school. You could have some fun with that. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't. You'd get a lot of belly aching from people. They'd be like, why are you like the Phil Knight of these schools? No, no, no. Phil Knight has uh, more than the Mega Millions in his pocket. But uh, that would is that is that a acceptable splurge to to take the two left behind programs and go we give you a shot in the arm, Jonathan Smith, Jake Dickert, don't worry about money, go compete and try to make the college football playoff. You become you become yeah. the Uncle John instead of the Uncle Phil. I don't I don't know if I'd want that though because I'd be covering the teams and then people say you're biased. I go no I'm just trying to I'm just doing like something charitable here. Um, here's another thing. By the way, on that subject for Oregon State and Washington State, a lot of what happens to Oregon State and Washington State right now is going to hinge on what happens with Stanford and Cal. If Stanford and Cal go to the ACC and they're been, you know, they met this morning, they had quote-unquote exploratory conversations, I don't think it works. The geography is so bad. But if Stanford and Cal go to the ACC in some form or fashion, 
do you know do you celebrate that probably not because if you, if that happens the domino that falls for Oregon State and Washington State is they have nowhere else to go but the Mountain West Conference so if uh, just know if you're a Beaver fan or a Cougar fan if Cal and Stanford go to the ACC the only place reasonably for for Oregon State Washington State to go is the Mountain West Conference if Cal and Stanford stay there's maybe a 35 or 40% chance that the Pac-4 could be rebuilt. And you could have the automatic qualifier status, and you could collect the NCAA tournament automatic bid still because you're a six-team conference. That's the minimum that you would have to. You have, you know, you have a berth into the into the postseason in basketball. And then you, you know, you try to add, you know, every couple years uh, as a conference, you try to build yourself back, or at least you create a place for the teams that left to maybe come back someday. Like, you know, you leave a place for UCLA to come home to someday if they ever get tired of traveling around the country with their softball team, their volleyball team. Um, You know, you could try to rebuild that. And it has a little bit more cachet than going to the Mountain West. But those are the options right now as I see it for Oregon State and Washington State. It's either they apply for Mountain West Conference membership as a fallback or – they try to rebuild the Pac-4, add two more teams. Is it San Diego State? Is it SMU? If it's San Diego State and SMU, there's about $44 million of total buyout uh, fees from those two conferences. How do you come up with the $44 million? Well, maybe one of our callers who wins the Mega Millions will foot the bill. I don't know. But keep an eye on that. Dominoes will fall. We'll talk with John Wilner about that coming up at 4 o'clock. Where, what is your sports splurge? You hit the Mega Millions. Mark in Portland. Mark, what are you doing with your money? Uh, I I would, well, first of all, at my age, I think the first thing you need to think about is that is a biblical number to me. So you better think about <laughs> buying your way to heaven because even God will be watching what you're doing um, if you hit something like that. But I would, can I, can I fund Oregon with the NIL and buy the yeah, defense yeah. for a few years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yes, want to be can. a silent partner, you know, sitting on the Amalfi Coast in Capri with 20 acres and, uh, giving them the money to, to buy a championship. That's what you got to do now, isn't it? So um, that's what I want to see before I go. So, I mean, so I'm you, being selfish. Uh, I want to see Oregon. They've done everything else, John, but win a national championship. So I, I my question to you guys, too, is um, if Oregon State has, you know, a year like they did in 2000 and, and, and wins the Pac-12 with one loss this year, could, mm-hmm. could that bolt them to a – to a Power Five conference, their performance on the field this year. It'd be nice to get back to the field here as soon as possible. Yeah, but, you know they got a chance to have a big year this year. They look like a pretty good team. Yeah, if you, um, it, you know, I have, I've heard this, and pe- several people have slipped into my email inbox and asked me that question: like, what is Oregon State playing for this year? Like, if they have a great season, is it possible somebody goes, "Hey, we'll take you"? Uh, it's not going to happen in, in like that directly, but I think it would be. Uh, an incredible bit of poetry if Oregon State ended up winning the Pac-12 conference. And secondarily, what you're doing now if you're Oregon State, you're thinking in a two-year survive-and-advance window. And then beyond that, maybe five years or seven years. You can't afford to think 20 years down the road if you're Oregon State right now. You have to be focused on survival. You're in a house. The house is on fire. There's a lot of smoke. You need to get on the floor. You need to start crawling and find, get yourself to a place where you can stand up and then get out of the house, right? That's Oregon State's mission. So 
Yeah, if Oregon State won the Pac-12 championship this season under Jonathan Smith, it would be a statement from a brand standpoint that Oregon State can compete with the best Big Ten new applicants and the best Big 12 new applicants. It's a statement, and it would be a powerful statement. It doesn't automatically get you into the Big Ten, although it would be kind of nice if it worked that way, kind of like relegation, or the Big 12. But it sends this message that you can compete on that level, and I think it's a very important message to send because there's going to be more consolidation. There's going to be more chaos. There's going to be more realignment. There may be some schools who don't like to travel and go, hey, five, seven years from now, this isn't working. We need to go back to what it was. And they reform new conferences. Maybe there's three. Maybe there's four. Maybe there's five. I don't know. But this season does count for Oregon State in that way because it can be held up as part of the story, part of the brand. Hey, you left them behind. Hey, they still had the Portland TV market in 1.1 million households, and you left them behind. So they are playing for something. But so is Oregon, and so is Washington. So is everybody. I mean, it's a really important college football season. It was even before all this, but it's more important and more interesting now. Let's go to Roseburg. Brian is in Roseburg. Welcome, Brian. Hey, uh, yeah, I coached for a long time and taught Roseburg High School. And what I would do is I would set up a trust fund for all the all Douglas County schools for uh, so kids don't have to pay any sports fees. That would include like middle school and high school. And I would probably like uh, add 50% to all coaching salaries because one thing that another thing along is with travel is riding those yellow dogs for 20 years just got really tired coming back from South Midford or Ashland getting home at 11 o'clock at night. But once in a while we would have a, uh, a coach like from Eugene or whatever and those guys fly and it's comfortable. So I would pay for all varsity transportation on uh, coach travel and there would be no f- fees or for any kids in the entirety of Douglas County. I just set that up trust fund for in perpetuity i like your idea you're you're not far off from kind of what the bft foundation tries to do with providing uh opportunities in art music education and athletics um but you could do it on a much bigger scale with a billion and a half dollars or whatever you felt like you wanted to put in there michael is in eugene listening on fox sports eugene michael welcome john how you doing my man i'm doing well so I'm going to buy a huge box of Kleenex for Lincoln Riley because the Ducks just flipped the number 13 cornerback in America, and he is a total stud. And he's going to be crying some more because the way they used to sell against us was exactly how he was trying to sell against us. That is over now. So I'm also going to buy some crisis management lessons for George K. And Larry Scott um, in arrears, get them through so in their next life they can do a better job with the media deal. And I liked how the U of A president said that it would be like selling candy bars for Little League, um, like a pyramid scheme. And so, yeah, and I would give you a boatload for your camp. It's incredible. All right. right. You you turn that around. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I look, we are excited about this. Um, I would also help the Beavers. I think the AAC might be 
a nice uh, deal. But there's a lot. I've been reading your boards. Those guys need to chill out and realize that we did everything to stay, and we were not going to sign a deal like that. And and it I know they hate it, but they are not in the same class as Oregon. We played for two national titles. We won three Rose Bowls. We belong. Yeah, yeah but you know, like, well, let's just be real, though. If we, let's say we go back to, like, 1989. Oregon yeah. was not in the same class as USC. How would you have felt if USC said to hell with the Pac-10 and destroyed the conference? Yeah, but we tried to keep it together, and USC did say to hell with the Pac-10, and they did destroy the conference with the help of the presidents and the chancellors. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bummer. And, yeah, it's, it's I, I easy think, to be but, a good winner. Yeah, but right Michael, now, Michael, 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 yeah. Michael, I think both things can be true. I think, I think, I actually think Oregon can go off, and it can, the Big Ten can be the right place for Oregon, absolutely, especially if you're looking 20 years into the future. I think also part of you can go, man, that Pac-10 that you grew up going to games with with your grandpa is done. It's gone, and you can be sad about that. I'm so sad. I've spent – I've been – I mean, I've seen the Ducks play a couple hundred times. I've been to every stadium in the Pac, and I hate what happened to Corvallis and Pullman. Um, So I know when things settle down, that will be great. I'm also going to buy some Kleenex for your buddy Roy, who uh, I know it's driving him crazy that Oregon and Washington got the nod to the Big Ten. But <laughs> Roy's a big he's Georgia fan. Calm down. I mean, he's that guy yeah. is just—he obviously hates the Ducks. A lot of people don't like the Ducks, but like a plane crash, there were a thousand little things that were done poorly. Yeah, the I end of the that. day, the presidents and the chancellors are the ones that caused this. I agree with that. I think there were a thousand things that led to this. And I think a lot of people want to point to Friday morning in Oregon. I could go back a year earlier, USC, UCLA. I could, bl- you know, George Klyovkov lost those programs. Let's point at that. Larry Scott, the mismanagement of the conference. Let's point at that. The presidents and chancellors themselves. Let's point at that. I mean, yes, there were a million things. Where you go? Ah, eh, this just didn't. Uh, this didn't go their way. Jack is in Portland. Jack, welcome to the conversation. Yeah, you guys are just talking about you know what you would do with lottery winning, this, that, and the other thing. I actually was a lottery, and the first thing I did was just shut down all my social media. Next thing I did was over the course of two months, I researched the best tax attorney, got that going, and when everything was said and done, you know. I didn't have anybody come knocking at my door, calling my phone after I changed my number. And, you know, I was able to go and donate to some of the charities, you know, buying new uniforms for teams. Good for you. And, uh, you know, when I had... Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? First of all, how much did you win? Ah, you're breaking up. I don't have to retire or have to yeah. work again, I mean. Yeah, you're breaking up. Bad connection. I wanted to know how much he won, and then I wanted to know how did he know to go find a tax attorney? How did he know to do those things? I'll take more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Coming up top of the hour, we'll play some Punch It Audio. John Wilner in hour number two. The uh, San Jose Mercury News Pac-12 guru. He's going to talk about Oregon State, Washington State. We'll discuss 
Whether Washington and Oregon can thrive in the Big Ten, what will it take to uh, for them to make it at the next level? All of that still ahead. Did you see this Kevin Brown thing, the Orioles broadcaster? You see this, Stephen? I did, yes. Broadcaster for the Orioles um, basically just said that the team stinks or you know is better than they were a year ago is basically what he was trying to point yeah, out what he was trying to say was they've been really bad in the past against the Rays because they've been really bad the last few years right so they just kept losing to the Rays that's basically all he said he wasn't like saying anything that should have got him fired and yet the Orioles have apparently suspended him and it has become quite a story do you think he did something else that we don't know about or do you think it really is limited to the fact that this guy said something that the uh, Orioles ownership uh, wasn't okay with. Like, hey, we don't, we weren't that bad a year ago. Like, you know, what do you make of that, by the way, when teams – it's like this is kind of – I hate to say this. I don't know if this is fair, but I'm going to say it. It's kind of like the Blazers. This is the kind of stuff the Blazers used to do and have done for like 20 years. What do you make of that? That's uh, that's my exact thought. Is it reminded me of something that the Blazers would do and have done. So um, I hate that kind of stuff when the team steps in and, you know – suspend somebody or fire somebody because they spouted off and he didn't even say his opinion but for saying an opinion about the team if it's any type of negative it's just it's i don't i'm not a big homer guy like i don't want to be a homer of any team and so i find it i find it disheartening when professional teams and franchises you know take it that seriously where they can't they can't take one bad thing said about them and they're going to take advantage of it and suspend them so i'm I'm uh I'm against the Orioles on that one, and it's it's sad because the Orioles have been such a good story in Major League Baseball with Adley Rutschman, you know, of course, local guy. So it's like you want to root for them, but at the same time, when they're suspending their their announcers for reading off stats, I I don't know. It, it's it rubs me the wrong way. Okay, I want to play this clip. I've got the clip pulled up for people who haven't heard it. This is in the pregame. This is the Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown, who's basically just setting the stage for a game that's going to be played. For the Orioles, Brandon Hyde has felt like this has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in. But the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three. And they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the Trop this year after winning three of 18 the previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place. Yeah. For right, the let's get let's get rid of that guy. <laughs> the you problem know? too is also the the network had a graphic ready with all these stats on it. So like, were was the whole production truck were they suspended too, or is it just the announcer? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. That it is it is suggests to me that there is a systemic problem with the organization. Because here's how it goes down. Like here's you know. I probably know more than I should about all this stuff because of the Blazers, but it tells me that there's somebody in the Orioles organization who's at or near the top and maybe the very top who is A, thin-skinned, and B, really heavy-handed. 
because somebody at the top heard him talking, may have been, maybe they've been having a bad day, and heard him say, you know, this is a great thing. We, you know, in years past, we this is something we haven't done, and we lost 18 of 21 last year to this team, and look now. The, you know, the Orioles have a chance to win this series. Somebody up at the top is A, thin-skinned, and B, way too much autonomy and way too much power. And everybody else is afraid of this person, whoever it may be. I don't even know the organization. I can tell you it's that way. This is how it was with the Blazers when Burt Cold is running the show or or when Neil O'Shea is running the show or when Paul Allen comes to town and he happens to catch a glimpse of something he doesn't like and he goes, that person has to go. There's nobody in the organization. There's this group think that goes on. There's nobody in the organization that has the power or the authority or the footing to push back and go, hey, you know what? This is not that big a deal. Let's take a beat here. It's not happening with the Orioles. That guy gets yanked off the air. He gets suspended. The Orioles, by the way, will not confirm that he's been suspended, but it's been reported by multiple outlets who cover the team and cover broadcasting that it in fact it is a suspension for what like if he did something else talk to us about it you know did he come in and you know use the photocopy machine put his backside on it take photocopies and post them around the office or did he just say hey last season we lost 18 to 21 to the orioles and guess what this year we got a chance to win a series uh, excuse me against the rays we got a chance to win a series I don't get it, uh, you know, I, and, and you're right. It, there's only two organizations in sports that would do something like this. It's the New York Knicks of, you know, maybe the last 20 years. They did the same thing. They take away credentials from media members who criticize them, or it's the Blazers. Neil Olshay keeping a file on certain writers who wrote critically of the Blazers. Hell, I criticized the Blazers in the playoffs a couple years ago when they got beat by the Warriors. I said it's a culture issue. And the next season, I was informed I don't have a game-to-game credential. How about them apples, Neil Olshay? Like, that's the business. That's what, that's what these myopic organizations that lose their way, they do this kind of stuff. And it tells me that somebody with the Orioles organization has, has got their eye off the ball. Now, the Blazers didn't tell me I could never come to a game. They just said, you don't get a season credential. You have to apply like a visiting media member game to game. They just hassled me. They made it difficult. They made it harder. And that's what they do. It's punishment. It's a, oh, you were you were critical of us. How dare you? But How it, dare you? And it's those teams you said, the Blazers, the Knicks, the Orioles, like they're just they haven't been good franchises, right? And it takes a lot to turn it around and you know, the Orioles are good good right now, number one in the AL, but it may just be because Adley Rutschman is so good, and it may not be the ownership, but they may bring it down. And the Knicks, they've been the laughing stock of the NBA along with the Blazers, like these are the organizations, they just they get in their own way a lot of these times. And here's the other thing. When when an organization treats an employee like that, you better be sure they're treating multiple employees that way. That that heavy-handed feel extends to all corners of the organization. It's why um, good organizations win. Good organizations have great media relations teams, have great community relations teams, do great work with their sponsors, do, do their season ticket holders feel, feel heard. Uh, the players say, man, you know, the organization really listens to us. And the coaching staff says, hey, the organization really gives us everything we need to compete. And, and the parking lot attendants feel invested and the ushers feel invested. And bad organizations, it's completely the opposite. It's completely the opposite. The, you know, the Blazers organization... It's got a lot of problems. I, I would I would urge people who are tuned into this 
you know, this saga with the Orioles broadcaster to also consider that this is the, exactly the kind of stuff that Trailblazers Inc. is engaged in over the years. Uh, you know, I don't think Joe Cronin wants to do that, although he did work under the guidance of a general manager who acted that way. Um, I don't think that Dwayne Hankins, the team president, wants to do that, although he's still running the business side of an operation owned essentially by Vulcan Inc. It hasn't changed. Now, in addition to the fact that the Blazers organization hasn't fielded a great basketball team in some time, um, they just haven't been a good organization, period. End stop. Over. Learn from the Orioles is what I'm saying. The Orioles have a lesson to teach us all. Brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, the ACC had exploratory talks with Stanford and Cal this morning. Also, the Regents in Berkeley met. Keep an eye on the ACC and Stanford and Cal. There's some scuttlebutt out there about the conference possibly taking one or both, or both plus SMU. I'm a little skeptical about two educational academic institutions from the West Coast viewing all that travel as a good thing for the Olympic sports in particular. But these are new times and new ground. Realignment, expansion, they open your mind and they make you think a little differently. We'll have more on that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour with John Wilner. Leave it here. One hour in the books, great hour ahead. John Wilner will be with us this hour to talk about the fate of Oregon State and Oregon, uh, excuse me, Washington State. I keep wanting to group Oregon and Oregon State together. It's going to be hard to separate those things. Uh, Oregon State and Washington State, what happens to them? What's Cal going to do? What's Stanford going to do? Is there a Pac-12 or not? I heard a dirty little secret. Can I share a dirty little secret? Can I do that with you? Can you keep it between us? Okay, remember when the Pac-12 announced right after UCLA and USC were leaving to go to the Big Ten? The Pac-12 came out and said that it was was going to go to market early with its media rights. Do you remember that? And then there was some subsequent, um, there was some subsequent confusion over when the window started or didn't start. I had one of the Pac-12 presidents tell me yesterday after the show. I got a call after the show from a Pac-12 president that I had been trying to get in touch with for days, but this person was busy because they left the conference. I had one of the Pac-12 presidents tell me the reason why. The, there was some confusion over the media rights deal being, uh, you know, the early negotiating period. Like, I don't know if you remember. Does it, is this too inside baseball? Stephen, do you remember when the Pac-12 said we're going to market early? And I, then there was like this long wait. I do remember because uh, I was excited about it. It's like, yeah, let's get this done. And uh, then no, yeah, nothing came about it. Nothing came because the Big 12 got a deal. Remember? October. Yes. Okay. So I found out yesterday what happened. Because I said, hey, what happened in the early part of the negotiating? And the president, the Pac-12 president, told me that they attempted to go to market. They had an offer from ESPN to buy all of their rights. And Fox stepped into the fray and said, hold on. Per our contract, 
you have to allow us an exclusive negotiating period before you can go to market. Now, the Pac-12 tried to have their attorneys look at it, tried to see, is that true? Is that not true? And, in fact, the Pac-12 got hamstrung and got told they weren't even allowed to have conversations with ESPN until the early exclusive negotiating period with Fox expired, and it expired in October. By the time the Pac-12 emerged from that exclusive negotiating period, guess what happened? Fox had gone behind their back with ESPN and bought the Big 12 rights. ESPN then came back and said, hey, there's no money left over for us to go in with you. And, uh, it, uh, you know, I don't know if that's illegal, what Fox did, but it's pretty sneaky. And the more I find out about Fox's role in what happened to the Pac-12 conference, the more I shake in my head because it's possible that uh, Fox operated in its own best interests, you know, locked the Pac-12 up, went and negotiated with the Big 12, eliminated ESPN as a potential bidder, then went behind their back, started poaching Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, making eyes at Utah. Then uh, when it realized it wasn't going to break the conference up, what did it do? It came back and went after Oregon and Washington. Then it got Oregon and Washington, and it got Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah all for itself, got all six under the Fox umbrella without paying for it, not paying to buy the conference, just paying some pro rata additional funds. It's pretty uh, it's pretty saucy stuff there by Fox. Makes me not like Fox any more than I did before, which wasn't very much. But uh, heard that from a president who, by the way, is on the move into another conference that has a media deal with Fox. I said, is that illegal? Isn't that an antitrust thing? They're meddling. They're colluding. And uh, the, the president told me, I don't know if it's illegal, but it just kind of shows you the game that's being played behind the scenes. All right, we're going to play some Punch It audio. We got the best sound from all around. We work real hard to get this stuff for you all day long. Today is no different. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's stay with uh, expansion and realignment. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Says he's got to keep focus on the field amid all of this realignment, what's going to happen nonsense. He's got a job to do. He's got to get his team ready for a football season. Punch it. You know, obviously you're, you're impacted. You you got your eyes pseudo on it, but you control what you control. This is one of my favorite parts of the year is fall camp, getting ready for a season, diving into practices and meetings and seeing these guys work. So I'm enjoying that part and keeping my focus there. It's got to be incredibly distracting, though, to not know where you'll be beyond this season and to get cl- get questions from players. Smith went on to say that his players have had questions. Uh, he also said, uh, you know, he talked about getting updates, not being part of the meetings. I mean, he's got to control what he can control, but this is what it was like from his his standpoint. Punch it. I feel like it's more been updates. Again, we haven't been at the table as coaches in that. I do feel like you get updates and kind of seeing where things are potentially going. And, uh, again, that's where your mind can start going down a road of, like, we don't control any of that. We're in a great great time of year, August camp, headed toward a big-time season. Yeah, it's really interesting. I did talk to several football coaches in the conference while this was all going on in the last couple of weeks, and 
there were a lot of coaches who were informed like Jonathan Smith. I think the football coach does become part of the conversation, but I think the circle is relatively small. You know, as pointed out last week, I had a Pac-12 men's basketball coach calling me during the show last Wednesday to find out what the hell was going on. It just tells you that the men's basketball coach is about where they draw the line as to who they include in this decision. Certainly not including the women's basketball coach or the track and field coach or the baseball or softball coach, gymnastics. Forget about it. They're not talking to the non-revenue generating sports. You know why? Because the only thing that comes out of that is people squawking about, hey, we're not going to play games there. So they keep the circle small. But the football coaches were looped in. One of the big questions uh, came out of last, uh, last week's news conference. Rob Mullins, the Oregon Athletic Director, said this. When he was asked about playing Oregon State in football moving forward, punch it. As I said earlier, you know, our goal would be to schedule Oregon State in, in every sport that's possible. Uh, football scheduling can be complicated, um, you know, because of how far out it is. Um, and, you know, the difficulty of playing non-conference games later in the year. But our goal would be absolutely to continue to play Oregon State. Our goal isn't what's going to happen. Rob Mullins hit on it. He said, hey, it can be complicated because of how far out they schedule. And you'd have to, you know, maybe play this game in week two or three as a non-conference game instead of late in the year as it's traditionally played. I think that tradition is in jeopardy. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach, was asked about it as well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit similar with Scott. I mean, to be determined. we got to figure out what this thing looks like moving forward. And, and once we get to that point, then we'll, we'll make decisions on that. I say we'll, they'll make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, I, if I'm Oregon State and Washington State, I don't play Oregon and Washington for some years. You know why? Because I, I don't want to make it easy on them from a travel perspective. Of course, Oregon and Washington are going to want to play that non-conference game because it gets them a game in their home state. They don't have to travel very far. But I kind of think if you're the Beavers and the Cougars, maybe uh, maybe you wake, make the Ducks and the Huskies wait a five or seven years before you play them. But aren't there a lot of positives if they are to play them? Like, let's say Oregon State and Washington State go down, they combine with the Mountain West. You play Oregon and Washington and you get a win over them, man, that's going to be good for your conference, right? Like, you're trying to rebuild the conference that you were just a part of, and now this is the best way to do it. Like, if you lose, no one's going to bat an eye at it because everyone thinks, oh, Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten, they're supposed to beat Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon yeah, State, beca- State. Because in the Big Ten conference, you're, you know, your full media rights distribution is around $68 million a year. And in the Mountain West conference, Boise State's getting $6.8 million a year. I know it's just a decimal point. But that's what you're up against when you're playing those teams. Yes, you're, you're playing from off the ropes and underfunded. And, hey, let's see what we can both do. I think the bigger picture thing is, hey, if they moved, you know, I'm not saying this is what I want as a media member or a fan. I'm just putting myself into Washington State's shoes. Why would I make this easy on Washington? You know, you want to play a Big Ten schedule, go travel. You can play Eastern Washington. You can play Portland State. And, you know, you can go down and try to play Stanford or Cal or, or Oregon State, but I'm not going to make this easy on you. I'm going to make you travel. Go travel and go find a game. I, I just think it's really interesting as we watch it unfold. I got I got one more question about Jonathan Smith and Oregon State. If Oregon State is to be in the Mountain West, is there a chance where Jonathan Smith looks at this and says, you know what, I'm too good of a quality of a coach to be coaching in the Mountain West? 
I'm going to try to make a jump up to another school or maybe even to the NFL. Like, is that being too negative right now? Is that too much of a rabbit hole or is that no. a realistic thing? It's a realistic thing. It's why I reached out to Aiden Childs' parents this morning. You know, I reached out to his mother and I had done a big interview with her last week. And I had, you know, I was all prepared to write something about Aiden Childs last week when the Pac-12 imploded. And I reached back out to her and I said, hey, what has anything changed here? You got a kid who's a freshman, who's a talented freshman. Everybody knows it. He's inside the Oregon State program. He's not going to be in the Pac-12 in a year. Like, does that change anything? And she says, nope, we're in. We're in. My kid's in. and My kid's happy. We're in. And uh, I think it's interesting because I think, I think all those questions are to be determined. I think it's easy to say we're in right now. But Jonathan Smith could get frustrated. He could get a better offer. Hell, uh, you know, he could end up being the next coach at Oregon. If I'm a school in a Power Four conference, I'm looking right at Jonathan Smith if I need a coach. Like, that guy can, yes. that guy can coach, man. He can coach. The question is, you know, his money is guaranteed in his current deal with Oregon State. And here's a wild card. Here's a wild card for you, Stephen. Washington and Oregon go to the Big Ten. UCLA and USC go to the Big Ten. Is it possible that Oregon State goes into the Mountain West Conference in 2024 and wins that conference going away? Is it possible? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Really good chance. And based on their non-conference schedule in the early part of the year, I think there's a chance that Oregon State could be like a one-loss Mountain West Conference champion or an undefeated Mountain West Conference champion. And because they would be a conference champion within the top six ranked conference champions get automatic berths, I think Oregon State has an outside chance to be a playoff team before those four additions that are going into the Big Ten, I think you're right. I think that's a that's a good thought because I would I would say it's going to be hard for Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA to get into the playoff playing in that Big Ten schedule, especially that first year. I think it's going to be a little tough for him. So I think you're right. Like Oregon State, if I had to make a bet, I would say they would they have a better chance in 2024 than any of those other four schools. It's just there's something you know. I'm not. I'm just looking at it going, eh, long-term, yeah, you want the money, you want the conference affiliation, but short-term, kind of just thinking in 2024, it might be an adjustment time for USC, UCLA, Oregon, and uh, Washington, and Oregon State might go, okay, we don't have to play USC, we we need to play Boise State, and we don't have to play Oregon, we need to play Fresno State. We need to be the Air Force to get into the yeah. championship game? I mean, come on. By the way, I reached out to Chip Kelly uh, after Media Day. Remember what he said to me at Media Day? I said this could be our final big, our final chance to do a one-on-one. I said I was a little wispy, and Chip Kelly said, "No, you gotta, you gotta come down to Big Ten Media Day." I uh, texted Chip Kelly on Friday night, "See you at Big Ten Media Day," and he replied, "Sadly, something I didn't want to be right about." Here's Chip Kelly being asked about football and the travel and realignment. Punch it. Notre Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference for everything else. Why aren't we all independent for football? And take the 64 teams in Power 5, make that one division. Take the 64 teams in Cooper 5, make that another division. We play for a championship. They play for a championship. No one else gets affected. Our sport's different than everybody else. We only play once a week. Travel's not a big deal for football, but it is a big deal for other sports. So... Make that guy the commissioner of that upper division. Put him in charge. Put the visor in charge. He gets it. Totally gets it. 
Joel Klatt talking about the Oregon Ducks. He thinks they're going to be pretty good this season. Punch it. Number 13, Oregon. Bo Nix back for his 74th year of college football, which is amazing. Um, 47 starts so far in his career. So he's going to be experienced. A lot of hype surrounding that. I like that. I like their run game. Dan Lanning, his style of football, um, I think it fits. I loved what they were able to do. That win against the uh, North Carolina in the Holiday Bowl. I think it was a good building block for them in the offseason. A couple of concerns for me are replacing that veteran offensive line. That offensive line was so good for them. And, and a big reason why they had such a good year a year ago. Now they're going to have to replace a bunch of those guys. We'll see if they're able to do it. Uh, Knicks might be under a lot more pressure. It might be more difficult to run the ball with the... Um, level of of execution that they did a year ago and they're replacing their offensive coordinator kenny dillingham whom i'm a huge fan of and now he's the head coach at arizona state uh, bucky irving is a quality player 13 is about right for them but again you're starting to see kind of the problem for the pac-12 any one of these teams i think could compete for a playoff spot namely washington or sc but the problem is the depth of the conference and the way that they schedule Joel Klatt has five Pac-12 teams in his top 15. How did a conference with five of the best football teams in America in the top 15 might be the strongest top five in the land? Better than, you know, the Big Ten's top five? I don't know. We could have a playoff. Better than the SEC's top five? I don't know. I'd love to see it. But Klatt has five including Oregon and Oregon State in the top 15. Here he is talking about the Beavers. Punch it. Number 15, and this is one of my favorites, by the way, because it gives me a fifth team from the Pac-12 in the top 15, Oregon State. So here's why I love Oregon State. Oregon State was boxing with one hand tied behind their back a year ago and did it incredibly well. Like, think about what a year that they had. The big wins down the stretch, and they were so one-dimensional on the offensive side. And I think that could be fixed. Now, did DJ Uyunglele struggle at Clemson? Yes. Do I believe he should be better at Oregon State? Yes. Why? Because the offense at Clemson was way too simplistic. Okay? And there weren't a lot of answers given to the quarterback. When I broke it down, it just... I didn't love their offense. There was a lot of, hey, our guys are just better than you, and let's roll out some basic concepts, and we're going to go win. Now under Jonathan Smith, this is a guy that has to be creative because his personnel suggests that he needs to be creative. He's going to have a run game, and I believe that Uyunglele actually plays really well. In fact, I, I think that he's going to be one of the bright stories in college football judging based on what happened at Clemson and then he's going to go and I think he's going to find a lot of success under Jonathan Smith who's a former quarterback who really understands play calling who's going to give him that run game as a help and it's going to be more intricate he's going to have tight ends to throw to so I think I like Oregon State I like it I like what Oregon State is bringing and yes that's a grand total of five Pac-12 teams in the top 15 pretty remarkable I don't think Oregon State is going to be fifth among the five teams in the Pac-12. That's where I think Joel Klatt is wrong. And I don't think the quarterback position is the key for Oregon State. I have a piece that uh, we'll either publish later tonight or tomorrow that's on what everybody else thinks is important versus what is really important. Everybody else thinks DJ Uyunglele is the key at Oregon State. But you and I know different. Oregon State is not reliant upon a quarterback 
to be its primary offensive playmaker. Oregon State's going to run the ball. They need the quarterback to be competent, to be passable, to be a leader, to convert on third and five, to make the right throw, not make a bunch of mistakes, don't throw five picks. That's what they need out of that quarterback. Oregon State is the New York Giants with uh, Phil Simms or Jeff Hostetler at quarterback. Oregon State is uh, the Baltimore Ravens with Trent Dilfer at quarterback. Oregon State is the Niners. Like, Jonathan Smith fashions his team and his offense after the San Francisco 49ers, and DJ Wingalele is Brock Purdy. See, yeah, he's important. He's a key to your team. But the bigger key for Oregon State comes on the other side of the ball. On defense, Trent Bray's defense, really important next season. They need to replace some leadership. For reference, Clyde had Washington at 6, USC at 8, and Utah at 11. Those are all good programs. But Utah's got some major questions. It's not Cam Rising's knee, it's the schedule. Washington, I... Yeah, I I mean, Washington and Oregon, it would not surprise me if one of them, whoever wins that Week 7 game, emerges as like a top eight team in college football. But I kind of think there there's a little bit of a tightrope act for Utah and the loser of the Washington-Oregon game. I could see those two teams falling back, and I could see Oregon State because they have such a good schedule. Oregon State gets Utah at home. It gets Washington at home. It's only tough game among the top five on the road comes at the season finale where they go to Oregon. Who do you think should be the favorite preseason favorite going into the betting favorite. Betting favorite has USC a slight favorite over Washington. Yeah. Do you think that's mm-hmm. right, or do you think it should be Washington or Oregon as the favorite? I think it should be USC-Oregon. I think Washington might be the loser of that Washington-Oregon game. I, I Right now, I, I think or, I like Oregon more than I like Washington. But, uh, you know, Washington's got a really bad schedule. And again, I look at the schedule. You know, USC's got Caleb Williams. He stays healthy. They remember they have Caleb Williams throughout the season. I think USC has a you know the best shot to get to Vegas, so I'm putting them as the favorite. But secondarily, I actually think the winner of the Oregon-Washington game and Oregon State are the next two best teams, and and I think it's going to be messy for Washington. They play back to back to back. They play USC, Utah, and Oregon State. Uh, they after the Oregon game. And, I, and the Ducks, uh, you know, I think they have a little more favorable schedule, but they've got an Oregon State problem. they got USC at home. Um, you know, I, I think it goes, in my mind, it goes USC, the winner of the Oregon-Washington game, which I think is going to be Oregon, and then Oregon State. And I think Washington and Utah are four and five. Well, to your point, Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, he says there's only two teams in the Power Five that have a – have a top 10 ease of schedule and a zero coach effect record projection of 12 and 0. So projected to go 12 and 0, it's Georgia and Oregon. That's how talented Oregon is yeah. and with their coaching staff. So you may be right. Oregon may be the second best team in the Pac 12, may even be the best team. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of talent there down in Eugene. I'll tell you what I'd love to see, though Civil War, Autzen Stadium, with undefeated Oregon against undefeated Oregon State. And then, oh, by the way, rematch in Vegas a week later. How about them apples? Would you go for that? I'm down. I'm in. Let's do it. Would you go for that? In the final Pac-12 championship game, a civil war for the ages. The last one. Like, this, there could be some theater here. I'm just saying. Well, the only chance that the Pac-12 has of having you know, one, of the, one of the four remaining to be in the Pac-12 title game is Oregon State. 
A lot of pressure on the Beavs to get there, man. I mean, because I feel like that'd be just a great storyline to have yeah. Pack Four represented in the final Pac-12 championship game. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a really intriguing season. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, is going to tell us what happens with Stanford and Cal, what happens with Oregon State and Washington State. Wilner's next. It's been a lot to digest in the last uh, five, six days. Uh, Pete Thamel, ESPN, with a report about the ACC. Nothing gets college presidents more excited than an affiliation with two of the most elite academic institutions in the country. Obviously, Cal, one of the premier public institutions. Stanford, obviously, one of the elite private institutions. Stanford, top to bottom, I don't think anyone would argue, has the best athletic department in the entire country. Second reason, they are distressed assets with nowhere to go right now. So I think picking up the phone and doing some vetting and exploratory talks and sources have cautioned me. These are early talks. They are formal talks because people are getting on the phone, but they are early. They don't see a lot of uh, a lot of drawback into at least having the chat and running out the ground ball, if you will, to see where they are. Running out the ground ball. Here to talk about it, John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. He's got his batting helmet on. He's got his bat out. Uh, what are we talking about with Cal and Stanford and the ACC? I mean, it would have been insane to think about this until last summer when, you know, USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten kind of made, uh, blew up the traditional conference alignment scenarios, right? So, you know, what I think is they should be doing, these schools is they should do whatever they can to get an offer from the uh, the ACC. And then they should turn around and go to the Big Ten and they should say, you don't offer us X, we're going to the ACC. Because they really should get into the Big Ten at this point. It makes all the sense in the world for Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and USC to have Cal and Stanford out here. And it also makes all the sense in the world for the 14 Big Ten schools that are east of the Mississippi to have two more out west. Because it will just reduce the travel demands on the athletes if there's more schools out west. I think it's interesting. Do you get the sense that the Big Ten actually is interested in this, or is Stanford and Cal, are they trying to drum up some uh, some conversation by talking with the ACC and then rubbernecking over at the Big Ten going, hey, are you sure you don't want us? Yeah, I think it's probably both. I mean, I do think that the Big Ten has had some conversations about it. I mean, there were some initial conversations last week, you know, with the Big Ten, when they were starting to get real serious with the Oregon and Washington, you know, Cal and Stanford were also part of that conversation initially. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that the two Bay Area schools are also, you know, they're trying to drum up interest as well in, in this. And they feel like if they can do if they can create a Fox versus ESPN scenario, because ESPN has the ACC rights, Fox has the Big Ten rights. You know, if they can get ESPN and the ACC interested, Fox may just decide they got to pony up the money to to lock down the Bay Area. John Wilner with us. If the Stanford and Cal uh, contingent does not go to the ACC and cannot get the Big Ten to further expand, what are the options for the Bay Area schools and how do they affect, in your mind, Oregon State and Washington State? Well, I think at that point they may try. I mean, they could try to be independents in football and put their Olympic sports in the WCC. But it's hard. A hard life as an independent football because of the schedule. So I think they may try to reform the Pac-12 where they, you know, the four schools le- left over, reform the conference, uh, add between four and six schools, 
and just kind of make a whole new Pac-12. I don't even know what they name it. They may name it the Pac-10. They may change the name altogether. But that would be the other option is to, to you know, recreate something new out of the rubble. Timeline for this happening, because as I talk with Washington State and Oregon State, feels to me that their fallback, fallback plan is to go to the Mountain West, but they are first watching, rubbernecking, looking at Stanford and Cal and going, hey, uh, if you don't go somewhere else, we're, our, our, you know, we're open to conversations. Yeah, I think for sure. They, they are waiting. They're not going to enter the Mountain West. I mean, they know they have that as an option. They're not going to take that option until they're, they're sure that Stanford and Cal aren't going to try to reform the conference with them. So it could take weeks. I don't know. The ACC, uh, I think it's August 15th, is when ACC schools have to commit to being in the league for next year. And, you know, Florida State's been rumbling about getting out. So we'll see. I, I think the ACC situation could end up bleeding beyond August 15th. Uh, but I would, I would imagine by the end of the month, we're going to know where Stephen Cal is going and what Washington State and Oregon are doing. John Wilner is with us. Uh, let's focus for a second on Washington and Oregon. They obviously made a decision that is like a 20-year decision in their mind, and they're seeing the future of college football. How do you think they compete immediately in the Big Ten? If Are, are they different? Are they the same? Give me an idea of what you expect from them maybe in the first couple of few seasons in the Big Ten. I don't know that they're going to come in and do great. I, I just think this, you know, that travel is going to catch up to them. It'll be interesting to see how the, the schedule, is, the rotation is created. You know, I, you have to figure, uh, I mean, it makes sense to me that if they're playing nine conference games, three of those games are going to be against the other West Coast schools. So if you're, if you're playing USC, UCLA, and, uh, if, you're, if you're Oregon and you know you're playing Washington, uh, USC, and, and UCLA every year, you know, and you've got six spots left, and, and you've got one of those spots is Wisconsin and another is Penn State, you know, the schedule could be pretty tough. I just don't know that they're going to go in and, and do great. And that's they probably know that, but – if you finish fourth in the Big Ten, you might have a shot at getting that large book to the playoff. The, Mount, the Mountain West Conference, if we can focus there for a minute. We were talking in the last uh, segment about the possibility that Oregon State in particular could enter the Mountain West in 2024, uh, you know, post an undefeated season or a one-loss season, and possibly be a candidate for the expanded playoff and get into the playoff. And Oregon State fans, Wilner, are looking at me going, hey, why didn't anybody want us? Why doesn't anybody want Oregon State in your mind? I mean, it's a media valuation deal entirely. It's just, uh, you know, they don't they do not do great on TV ratings. That's what it comes down to, basically. Uh, you know, and they don't have, you know, some of the cachet of the bigger, the bigger schools. Washington State's in the same position. That, that's what it's all about. It's do Fox and ESPN watch you? <laughs> and it's a very unfortunate situation. But it's true in terms of the playoff. If you go to the Mountain West and you win the Mountain West, you got a heck of a chance to get the playoff because there's always going to be one more automatic qualifier spot than there are power conferences, right? So the Pac-12 dissolves. There's four power conferences: ACC, Big 12, SEC, Big 10. They got to have five 
automatic qualifier spots or else there's going to be an antitrust lawsuit from all the other conferences. So Oregon State of Washington State go in the Mountain West and they win, you know, you go 10-2 or whatever, 11-1, you win the Mountain West, you're going to be in the playoff. So in some ways, it's easier to get in the playoff potentially through Mountain West than it ever would be in the Pac-12. I mean, hard to believe either of those schools would ever get in the playoff from the Pac-12. But they could certainly do it for the Mountain West if they would like conference. George Klyovkov, um feels to me like if the Pac-4 is rebuilt, he's not the commissioner. In your mind, uh, is there any scenario in which Klyovkov could lead that group of four back to relevance? Or what do they need to do if they're going to rebuild? Do they do they fire him? Does he finish this season? How do you how do you put a conference together when you've got a, a guy in charge who was part of the conference falling apart. It's hard to believe that they would go to the negotiating table with him representing the conference. Uh, real hard to believe after what's happened. You know, the one issue, though, is if uh, my guess is they'd owe him 10 million bucks if they fired him, right? He's making about three and a half million a year, and he's got basically three full years left on his deal. I believe it's a five year deal. So they got to eat a lot of money uh, unless they can somehow fire him with cause. But uh, I agree that it's it's very difficult to imagine that he's leading the way if they do try to, you know, re- recreate a, a, the four stick together and try to recreate a conference. They, they can't have him leading the way, I don't think. I think it was going to be weird this season coming up with UCLA and USC involved. This was before Friday. Now Friday comes – we have what what will be the final traditional season of the Pac-12 and a Pac-12 championship game and five really good teams. And how is this going to feel this season in your mind? It's going to be like a touch football game breaking out at a funeral, kind of. I mean, or a pickup basketball game at a funeral. It's going to be really weird. It's going to be unprecedented uh, in modern college history, you know, that you've got a you know, a power conference, a pillar of college sports for a hundred years. It is, it's breaking up and at, like everybody's kind of going different ways, right? I mean, we could have a scenario where the, the schools, the 12 schools are going to four different leagues, big 10, big 12, ACC, Mountain West. It's crazy. It's like, y'all just scattering, you know, party's over. Everybody leaves out of a different door. Uh, it's, I, it's going to be really weird, no question about that. And and hopefully, you know, the weirdness won't take away from the competition because it should be great competition uh, for fans and for that players. But it, everything there's going to be this giant cloud over everything. And you know the the possibility of USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Oregon State getting to the title game. You know, does any of what's gone on since Friday distract one program more than another? A meaning like Oregon State, are they at a disadvantage now because, you know, they're focused on other things? Or is the football, in your mind, separate from everything else that's going on? It's possible that, you know, Washington State and Oregon State could use it as motivation. That would be, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I don't know that it will have an impact on, on the schools that are going to, you know, big conferences, but, you know, it could light, 
just a little extra motivation. I mean, certainly the Oregon State game and the uh, Apple Cup are going to be something to behold, right? I mean, there's going to be some real next-level emotion there. Uh, and, and I do wonder if we'll know, you know, by the time of those games, what the future scheduling situation will be with those schools, right? I mean, I got to imagine the Big Ten's going to take a little while to figure out its new conference schedule. Uh, and those four Northwest schools are going to have to figure out if they're going to be able to play the, the rivalry games again, you know, on a regular basis moving forward. Stanford, Cal, ACC, possibly angling for the Big Ten, uh, you know, as a as a afterthought or maybe a leverage play. What's the timeline in your mind? Is it a this week thing? Is it a next 24 hours thing? When do you think we get resolution or a clear idea of what's happening there? I thought it might be a this week thing, but I think it might be now a multi-week deal uh, with the ACC, just because it you know they had they're just starting. Expansion takes a long time. Uh, you got to do a lot of vetting, have a lot of discussions. You got to have internally with the presidents and the athletic directors. Then you got to get your media partner involved. I'm sure ESPN is doing a lot of modeling on you know, subscribers to the ACC network in the Bay Area and all that kind of thing and negotiating with the school. So it's very involved. Uh, I think the fact that they haven't said no yet and they've had multiple meetings uh, over there means that it's got a chance. But I kind of think it's probably going to take a couple of weeks now, especially if the, there's a scenario in which the Big Ten also – uh, gets involved. I, I, the Big Ten is certainly discussing the potential for adding Cal and Stanford, but I don't know if those talks have gone beyond the you know the initial stage yet. So we'll see. I, I would have to take before the season starts, but you never know. I was told that Oregon State had all of its lines in the water. It had uh, you know explored Big Twelve and didn't really get anywhere. Of course, they would love to follow Oregon and Washington, I think, down deep into the Big Ten, not be left behind. Um, you know, it doesn't appear that the ACC is interested in Oregon State. I'm told they had one conversation, didn't really go anywhere. Is it is is it Mountain West Conference or a rebuild? Is that it in your mind, or is there any scenario where Stanford and Cal become players and the Big Ten could come back and go, look, Let's just add everybody who's remaining and put them in a pot in the West Coast and really cut down on the travel. In your mind, is there any other scenario except the Mountain West or a Power Four rebuild for the Washington State, Oregon State group? I don't see any other scenarios. I really don't. It's either they're in there with they're back in the Pac Four with Stanford and Cal rebuilding, or they're in the Mountain West. I do not see a third door for either of those schools. And it's unfortunate, but it's just it's the reality. You know, and, and their schools, I mean, you know, it's, it's unfair that, you know, uh, South Carolina, I mean, you can pick schools in the SEC and the, and the Big Ten that don't really, you know, belong any more or less than Oregon State and Washington State belong in, in the power conferences, right? I mean, Minnesota, Purdue, uh, I mean, Rutgers, you know, that's what this world has come to. Washington State, Oregon State have no have no home, and Rutgers is getting you know tens of millions of dollars a year from the Big Ten. That's but that encapsulates what real learning is like and how TV drives it because Rutgers provides access to the huge New Jersey, New York, 
media market for the Big Ten Network. That's the reason Rutgers is in the Big Ten getting $50 million a year, $60 million a year. Meanwhile, Washington State has gone to the bowl, bowl seven years in a row, and they're scrambling. Oregon State won 10 games last year, and they're scrambling. And it's because TV is driving it, and TV doesn't see as much value in those schools, and it's not fair. Wilner, um, one thing I've been talking about is, you know, or, you know, Oregon State fans will say, hey, it's discouraging. Does that mean this season and what happens doesn't matter? I don't think it's like, you know, Oregon State wins the Pac-12 title and suddenly everybody goes, hey, we have to have that brand. But I think in five or seven years, there's going to be some more consolidation, more realignment, maybe more chaos. Does it behoove Oregon State as a brand to A, try to win as many football games and championships wherever they are as possible, and B, what else can they do? Well, it certainly behooves them to win because winning means resources, right? It, it, it means ticket sales. It means TV money. It means your donors are happy and they're, they're contributing. And certainly we don't know what the college landscape will look like in 2030 and beyond, but if you win now the next five, six years, you're putting yourself in position to to move up uh, potentially, depending on what the what the openings are. There's no doubt about that. John Wilner, you're the best. Uh, hydrate, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs> All righty, my friend. Thanks. There you go. There's Wilner. He and I. He and I are in contact a lot. I got to be honest. You know, I worked with Wilner when I was at the uh, San Jose Mercury News twenty uh, something years ago. Got a lot of respect for him, and uh, you know. We've watched media companies shrink and shrink and shrink, the staff at the Mercury News shrinking, the staff at the newspaper I was at shrinking to almost nothing, and I finally decided to go off on my own. And Wilner and I, um, in a lot of cases, we we stay in touch with each other like we're working for the same team. We're covering the same stuff. You know, there's times when we're at odds where he'll break a story and I'll go, damn it, I should have had that, or I'll break something and he'll go, damn it, that was a good job by you. Like, we do a little bit of that. But I love having him on this show because – I need to check myself sometimes when I say things like, hey, I do think winning is really good for Oregon State in the short term. Like everybody wants to win, of course. But does it help increase your brand, improve you? And what else can you do? Like Oregon has done a magnificent job. The Oregon Ducks have done a great job building their brand, having success on the field, hitching their wagon to Nike, building resources, playing games, getting the platform. All of that has separated Oregon over the last 25 years from Oregon State. You know, Pat Kilkenny, longtime Oregon booster. He says if it weren't for Phil Knight, Oregon Oregon would be in the same soup that Oregon State's in. You know, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, but that's the kind of stuff Oregon State needs to be thinking about now. Okay, there's going to be another round of realignment, seven years, 2029, 20, six, seven years. You want to be better positioned then. What can you do in the next six, seven years? They've, they've rebuilt their stadium. They can continue to have success. They continue to invest in football. Um, it's, it's going to take a lot of branding and a lot of effort by Oregon State, but they have to position themselves better in the next five or six years. Leave it here. we got more ahead. Plus, Nick Daschle, who's got a tour of the new side of Research Stadium, will be checking in in the 5 o'clock hour. Plus, Stephen... He'll give us the five at five. What are the five biggest stories in his mind? I have no idea. I keep coming back to one thought, and I I hate dwelling on this stuff, but I know you've been thinking about it too. You know, we can say that Oregon State deserved better, because they do. Oregon State deserved better than getting left behind 
in the Pac-12 conference, along with Washington State. But you could see it as it was developing. The Big 12 wasn't going to come after a team in Corvallis and a team in Pullman. They were going to leave those two state schools. They were going to chase uh, the bigger brands that are closer to their footprint. And uh, Oregon and Washington were appealing to the Big 10. Along Wilner's point, a six-team pod in the uh, western part of the United States in the Pacific time zone does make sense for the Big Ten. So keep an eye on the poker play or the leverage play that Stanford and Cal are trying to create with, uh, with uh, the Big Ten conference. Do you think Stanford and Cal go to the ACC? Or do you think they're really trying to get to the Big Ten and they're using the ACC to create a, hey, imminent close over here. You know, it's a sales situation. If uh, you don't grab us and make that 16 pod, you may never get us. And you've got the academic brands of Stanford and Cal. Best case scenario for Oregon State and Washington State could be that nothing happens imminently. The Big Ten says we don't want to expand right now. And the ACC says ah, it doesn't make sense for our travel. And there's a little bit of a pause in the realignment, re-expansion expansion conversation. And Oregon State and Washington State team up with Stanford and Cal. That may be a best-case scenario in the short term. May not be. Who knows? I keep coming back to it. Oregon State deserves better. But you know what? who else deserves better? You. Even Duck fans. You deserve better. You don't deserve to have, you know, this thing hanging over your head like you caused something. And Oregon doesn't deserve to have everybody else in the conference pointing a finger at him going, you ruined this. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't believe it was on Oregon. I think Oregon made the decision ultimately when it was faced with, hey, do you want $35 million a year for the next six years and a guarantee that you're going to be with the haves when college football realigns again and expands again in 2029? Or do you want to sell Apple subscriptions and hope that you're part of major college football in 2029-2030? I mean, you know, we've talked about this. You know, Anna is big about this. She's like, hey, it's, there's a fiduciary responsibility at Oregon to do the damn right thing. But Oregon's been put in this position like they're a villain. I don't even really think they are a villain in this thing. I think the villains include Fox. They include Greed. They include the Big Ten Conference and the Big 12 Conference, and the commissioners who are running those conferences who had no problem blowing up the Pac-12. If you want to point fingers, point fingers in those directions. Five at Five's coming up. Steven's got five big stories. Stick around and find out what they are. I am very curious to see what Steven includes in his Five at Five. Anna's on hiatus. She and the uh, girls are are living it up in the sunshine. Um, uh, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, has come out and says he feels sadness as the Pac-12 is dissolving. I believe him. He is a throwback. He's one of these people that had boots on the ground on at you know Southland Conference back in the day. He was the head of intramurals at his old college. He's a college campus guy. Um, a lot of the commissioners running these conferences now: Tony Petiti and the uh, Big Ten, Brett Yormark in the Big Twelve, George Klyovkov in the Pac-12. Uh, not college campus guys. Is that part of the problem? Is that part of why college athletics is under fire? that college people aren't part of the game anymore? They've hired media executives and sponsorship and business and salespeople to run the conferences. No longer do we have the throwback commissioner who was an athletic director for 30 years. It's kind of sad. Steven, I'm going to hit the Mega Millions jackpot tonight in other news. I don't know if that's going to be on your 5 at 5 tonight. It'll probably be on your 5 at 5 tomorrow. Gonzano couldn't be here. He won the Mega Millions.
That's your five at five. Um, you, you, did you secure a ticket yet? Uh, no, I did not. But Coach Vaughn did text me and say, uh, pick one up on the way home. So okay, I got I okay. got the validation. It will be it will happen as long as okay. I can get there before seven. All right, seven o'clock is when they cut it off. I wouldn't cut it too close. All right, you might run into somebody at the front of the line who's uh, meandering around trying to pick their numbers on the kiosk, or you know, there could be a line at the gas station. I don't know where you buy your ticket, so don't cut it too close. Make sure you get it in there. All right, uh, the five at five, five biggest stories as Stephen sees it. Let's do it. The five at five. Have at it. The number one story is. All right, number one. Well, John, how things have changed. It was back in. Uh, it was back in May, I believe. Yeah, back in May, the ACC source told the Action Network that the league had no interest in expanding that they already have too many mouths to feed. But now things have changed as the ACC is considering adding Cal, Stanford, and SMU, or just Cal and Stanford, to the conference. Little uh, details on that. SMU has a $10 million exit fee to leave the American with less than 27 months notice. So that number could actually double. And there's an August 15th deadline for schools to notify the ACC if they want to leave and change leagues for the 2024 season. Now, I see these schools, and I uh, do not see Oregon State or Washington State involved in the calls from the ACC. It's uh, probably not going to happen. Oregon State, Washington State. I'm told Oregon State had one phone call with the ACC, and it didn't really go anywhere. It was just sort of a preliminary phone call with the ACC. There doesn't seem to be a lot of interest there. But it does tell you that Oregon State's got, you know, so to speak, all of its lines in the water. I was literally told that by an official at Oregon State. They are uh, turning over every rock. They're trying to get every possible scenario covered. It does look to me like the two options for Oregon State right now are joining the Mountain West Conference along with Washington State or trying to rebuild the Pac-4. And I think a lot of it hinges on what Stanford and Cal do is, is the decision tree goes down. That's the first domino that needs to fall. Stanford and Cal, are they are they interested in rebuilding the Pac-4? If they are, then I think Oregon State and Washington State will team up with them and try to do it. If they're not, I think Oregon State and Washington State retreat to the Mountain West. The number two story, as Stephen sees it, well, We is... talked about Tim Anderson the Chicago White Sox yesterday. Now, it has uh, come out that Keenan Middleton, former Milwaukee High School, Great Lane Community College, representing the NWACs, uh, he got traded from the White Sox to the Yankees at the trade deadline, and he basically said that the culture around the White Sox was just awful and there was no rules. Middleton said, quote, the second I found out I was traded, I shaved my face because I was ready to play by their rules because all I want to do is win games. You know how to act there. You know not to be late, and you know that there are consequences if you are late. Now, some of the stuff he said was rookie relief pitchers would fall asleep during games in the bullpen. They would miss meetings and practices. And now this has been refuted by management, by the Chicago White Sox. But Middleton has uh, stood by his statements. He said, quote, when I got to spring training, I heard a lot of the stuff, same stuff happened last year. It's happening again this year, so not sure how I could change it. They don't tell you not to miss PFPs. They don't tell you not to miss meetings. And if it happens, it's just okay, end quote. So Middleton, now with the Yankees getting out of the culture. But what is going on with Chicago White Sox? We saw the punch. Tim Anderson knocked him out. Now this uh, culture stuff coming out. White Sox in, uh, not doing great this year. It's it's systemic. Like you know, it's just you know you're, you're looking for symptoms here. You see a symptom of a bad organization. We talked about this with the Orioles and the 
the move they made with their broadcaster, getting him off air for telling the truth. Kevin Brown just saying, hey, we weren't very good last year. We went 3-18 and against Tampa. We have a chance to win a series this year. Up the yank him off air. There's a systemic problem with the White Sox as well. It's obvious. And I told you when the Tim Anderson fight broke out, I was reading body language on the field. I kind of felt like some of the White Sox players were not that sad about Anderson getting punched out. Like uh, Lance Anderson, right? Lance? Tim? Tim. Tim, right. Tim Anderson, before him getting punched out. Uh, you know, make sure I get my right Anderson. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I was reading some body language. Now we come to find out there was some previous altercations with teammates and and just some tomfoolery and ballyhoo going on with the White Sox. And, uh, did Keenan Mandelton, did he break any type of unwritten rule by talking about what goes on in the clubhouse and bringing it public and saying that guys are falling asleep in the bullpen? Like, is that is that breaking any type of unwritten rule? Yes. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna possibly face some backlash in his own clubhouse, but it's probably to the point where he's just had enough, and we're to the point of the season where he's going. I have to say something. I can't deal with this. We've all worked in bad work situations, right? Places you didn't want to work, businesses that just don't get it. The White Sox have a problem, and we have an employee who's blowing a whistle publicly now. Talking about and it, and now what he's now Middleton's with the Yankees, who we know run a tight yeah. ship over there. So, uh, a little yeah, different there. They're still he's still going to face some retribution. I think in his own clubhouse, I think there'll be some problems. And certainly, when uh, when and if they see the White Sox again, look out. Number three story, as you see it, you know the Yankees actually play the White Sox tonight, so uh, that could be interesting right there. But uh, number three, the Commanders. They hired Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator this season, and remember, it was a lot of talk that Bieniemy being so good with the Kansas City Chiefs or being successful, I guess, with the Chiefs, how he didn't get a head coaching job. But head coach Ron Rivera has said some of the players on the commanders have expressed concern over Bien-Ami's, um the way he expresses himself during practice. Bienemy said, quote, I'm always going to be loud, always going to be vocal, mm-hmm. always going to demand from my leaders. Now, Rivera said that some of the players were a little concerned with how hard Bienemy was riding them. And after BME was hired, there was a concern over how some of the players would handle his approach, one source said in the offseason. Rivera said, I had a number of guys come to me and I said, hey, just go talk to him. Understand what he's trying to get across to you as they go and they talk and they listen to him. It's been enlightening for a lot of these guys. It's a whole different approach. End quote. Uh, John, I, I do wonder about this. It seems like BME not necessarily you know, vibing with the new team and the commanders. Is that one of the reasons why he wasn't getting head coaching looks before? Um, I, I, I thought this, you know, we've talked about the quarterback documentary. I thought it was interesting that Patrick Mahomes very rarely was talking to Eric Bieniemy. If you mm-hmm. noticed that he was talking yeah. to the quarterback coach, um, former head coach of the chiefs, I blanking on his name right now, but he was talking to the quarterback coach a lot more than Bieniemy. There was a lot of sort, a lot of rumors out there that said BNB didn't have a lot to do with the offense. It was Andy Reid. It was other people. Is it surprising? Yeah, is it surprising yeah. to hear that BNB is having a little trouble in Washington right now? I uh, I have to think that could be part of it. I also think it could just be that you know the, offensively, the Commanders don't have Patrick Mahomes, and it's frustrating for Eric BNB. Like, hey, make that play. Patrick Mahomes made that play. Like I think Patrick Mahomes makes a lot of people look good. I think Bo Nix is going to make Will Stein look good, right? I think Cam Rising makes Andy Ludwig at Utah, the coordinator there, look good. Caleb Williams makes Lincoln Riley look good. That's what good quarterbacks do. They make their coordinator and their head coach look like a genius. Meanwhile, you know, I think the real coaching comes in when you don't have a brilliant player at that position and you still get it done. See Oregon State. 
See, uh, it, you know, it, in the week that Utah did not have Cam Rising at quarterback. Take a look at Bo Nix when he didn't have his good stuff. Like, that's when you see a good coordinator and good coaching, uh, you know, come forth. Um, I think it's interesting to watch Biennemi and see how this pans out for him because there was such an outcry that he didn't get a head coaching opportunity. And now it may, just may be he likes to yell at guys. I don't know. We'll find out. It could just be the, the new age of sports, too. Like, you know, you can't necessarily – back when we played, the coaches could yell at us. I don't know that you can – Yelled at me plenty. Yeah, I don't, they yelled at me, too. I don't know They're if you could yell. still yelling at me. <laughs> still. Yeah. Number four story is you see it. So a little bit of Blazer news here, John. Uh, there are reports that have come out and said there's still no traction between the Blazers and the Heat on a Dame trade. But Scoot Henderson has made a little bit of noise as he has come out and he said he's going to win the rookie of the year. Have that. I'll, <laughs> I'll have that here and play it right here for you. I will win rookie of the year. It's just a uh, mindset of a manifestation of um, that I kind of grew. Never doubted myself. You know, making sure I'm always playing good. Make sure I'm, I'm telling myself I'm going to have a great rookie season. You know, I'm not saying I want to have a great rookie season. I'm going to have a great rookie season. I'm going to have a great career. I will have a great career and making sure that's always in um, this past tense because it happened. I will say Henderson does not lack confidence, as he says it when Rookie of the Year, everything in past tense because it's going to happen, how he's going to be successful. Usually the third pick in the draft, John, has a lot of pressure on him, but Scoot is kind of going under the radar because of all the Dame trade request. Sounds like Scoot is going to put a lot of pressure on himself, and he thrives on it. But what do you think of him coming out and saying he will win the Rookie of the Year, even though Victor Wimbanyama, of course, is the favorite of that market? I like it. I like that he's got a little moxie to him, a little edge to him. I don't mind that. It's like George Costanza on Seinfeld saying, I am a marine biologist. You can will yourself. It's a leap from saying, hey, I could be rookie of the year to I am going to be rookie of the year. But I can, I've talked about this before. and you know, I've covered five Olympics, and I, I don't bring that up to be like, hey, I've covered some things. I bring it up to say I've seen the best athletes in their discipline thrive. And one of the things that successful Olympic athletes who are winning medals talk about is they talk about it in absolute terms. They don't say, I'm going to the Olympics and I hope to win a medal. They say, I'm going to the Olympics and I'm going to win a gold medal. Ashton Eaton, two-time gold medalist in the decathlon, asked him one time, you know, do you think about failure? And he looked at me in disbelief. I never even think about it. It doesn't cross my mind. That kind of confidence, that kind of positive self-talk, I do think it becomes very directive. I always tell our kids, hey, you got an apartment building between your ears. Your brain is this apartment building. Fill it with tenets that are positive. Fill it with tenets that are confident. Fill it with good thoughts, positive thoughts. Why would you rent those spaces to, uh, to tenets who say, ah, you're not going to make it, you're not going to do it, it's not going to work out for you. But too many of us do that. Do what Scoot's doing. He is going to win Rookie of the Year. I actually think he can manifest that into happening. He still has to do it on the court. But it starts with him saying, I can do this. I am going to do this. I love it. I love it. And I'm, you know, I'm excited for the Blazer season, actually. I, I kind of, you know, I want the Dame thing to be resolved. And I want the new era with Scoot and Shaden Sharp. I love Scoot's personality, like that kind of stuff. I, I, I agree with you 100%, especially at this level. When you're trying to be that great in the NBA, you have to have that confidence in yourself. He obviously has it. And to come out and say, I'm going to be Rookie of the Year when no one thinks you're going to do that. Everyone thinks it's going to be Wimbenyama. Love that as well. Uh, I did see in the offshore market, John, Scoot Henderson, points per game this season, 15 and a half. What would you take over the under? I just love that you said offshore market. I mean, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Uh, do I have to bet Bitcoin on this? Yeah, you do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, look, he's not a bad bet. 
You know, you could. There's worse bets out there, especially with some of the stuff we've heard about Wemby. You know, there's been some reports about him, like you know, he's being less than impressive, having to adjust his game a little bit. I actually think a guard that is played at a high level might be more equipped to come into the league and score and look good as a rookie. So Scoot's not a bad bet. Love it. Have at it. Number five, as you see it. All right. Well, speaking of gambling, uh, ESPN, they have signed a licensing deal with Penn Entertainment to create ESPN Bet, which is going to be a sportsbook for audiences in the United States. Now, Penn, they will rebrand its current sportsbook, which was Barstool Sportsbook, to ESPN Bet later this fall in the 16 states where it is licensed. Unfortunately, Oregon, not one of those states where it is licensed. But the rebrand will include a mobile app, website, mobile website, and mutually agreed upon retail locations. Penn agreed to pay ESPN $1.5 billion in cash over 10 years, mm. as well as grant ESPN $500 million of warrants to purchase approximately 31.8 million common shares of Penn. Now, there's options to receive bonus warrants, all that kind of stuff. Now, Penn, they also said it sold Barstool Sports back to its founder, Dave Portnoy. Penn initially purchased a 36% state of Barstool back in 2019 for 163 million and then earlier this year purchased the rest for 388 million dollars so espn getting into the gambling game having their own sports book i feel like uh there's gonna be a lot of uh those you know the quote-unquote analysts pushing out a lot of same game parlays that aren't gonna win and people are gonna Mm. get mad about it that's interesting it's it's astute of you to pay attention to that i think our listeners should as well when you hear espn talking about gambling doing more gambling shows keep in mind they're they're uh, in cahoots with a gambling entity. Uh, I think it's interesting. The ESPN obviously hurting for cash. We've learned that over the last few months and watching them negotiate with or not negotiate with the Pac-12. Uh, they just did not become a player in their media rights deal. It's really sad to see that happen. But also um, kind of makes sense, I guess, to see them now going down the road of gambling. And, uh, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense with Pat McAfee coming in. He's already had the relationships with mm-hmm. the gambling stuff. So it seems like ESPN and Disney taking a little detour of what they've always kind of gone against. They're going to embrace everything now and go with the gambling. Yeah, and keep in mind, ESPN's splitting off from Disney. Like, you're going to see that. ESPN's going to report, report earnings like its own company. It won't be part of the Disney umbrella. Um, Disney's in trouble. And, you know, they're looking for an equity investor. There was a lot of talk leading into the Pac-12 negotiation, that it would be Apple as an investor, could be Google, uh, could be Facebook. But evident uh, in watching this that ESPN's looking for new revenue streams. That is the 5 at 5. Nicely done. Well-rounded. Nice, good stuff there. You did leave out a couple stories. Uh, You left out the USC commit who flipped to Oregon. Uh, Dakota Fields flipped to Oregon after Oregon announced the Big Ten That news. was my number six news. Mm. So if it was a six at six, I would have got you. So he's a four-star cornerback, and um, he decided on Monday night that he changed his commitment from the Trojans to the Ducks, third-highest-ranked recruit in the Ducks class. And um, he comes from Sarah High School in California. He committed to USC in June, went to Washington, and went to Oregon after committing. Um, I'm not going to necessarily... I'm not going to say that the Big Ten commitment is the reason for this, but it's being held up like that. They don't have a quote in the ESPN story from the player saying, that's why I changed my mind. But, you know, the timing of it does sort of suggest that, that, hey, this was, you know, rooted in the idea that, uh, you know, hey, all things being equal, you can play in the Big Ten conference and play at Oregon and play at USC. USC has had an Oregon problem for about a decade. Oregon is a problem for USC. The LA Times had a piece on it on Friday as 
Oregon and Washington announced they're going to the Big Ten, the reaction in the LA Times was, USC still has an Oregon problem. They didn't escape it by running to the Midwest. I think that rivalry with Oregon, and again, they play at Autzen Stadium this season, is going to get some fuel for the fire. Lincoln Riley, Dan Lanning, both uh, you know, sort of confident, outgoing coaches. You got you know this season with Coach Prime. You have Jonathan Smith and Oregon State wanting you know to knock everybody out and prove they belonged. You got you know trusty old Kyle Whittingham and his team. This is going to be a great season. But can we draw that correlation that that USC is still got an Oregon problem based on this story today? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like. I felt like USC, because the last, you know, 10, 15 years, Oregon has definitely been ahead of USC, right? Like, ever since the Pete Carroll days, Oregon's been ahead. And going to the Big Ten, you thought, okay, now you got Lincoln Riley. Now you got the West Coast recruiting to, you know, go with the Big Ten. You're getting away from Oregon. You really are going to run the West Coast, but I don't. they can't get away from Oregon. And I do wonder, you know, I do think the Oregon's recruiting, it's already in the top ten. I think it's going to tick up just a little bit more now that they're in the Big Ten, I think, it is going to help, and there's going to be just a little more, more more money in there. Oregon may be the best team on the on the West Coast in the Big Ten now, and we all thought it would be USC, but I think it could be Oregon. I don't think it would be crazy to think that way. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch this play out and then kind of look back and go, okay, what happened? Uh, Oregon Ducks um, season opener, Portland State at Autzen Stadium. Week two, they'll be at Texas Tech. I'll be on the scene in week two. I'm going to Lubbock to cover that game. If you want to read me this college football season, read me at johnconzano.com. That's where you get me. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. What works for you works for me. Up next, Nick Daschle covers Oregon State. He's at Research Stadium today. He got a tour of the stadium with Scott Barnes, the athletic director. He's going to tell us what that west side's going to look like. What's the mood in Corvallis? We find out next. Research Stadium uh, is a... Uh, Undergoing, I guess, is undergone a, a renovation, and uh, Nick Daschle of the Oregonian got a chance today to get a good look at it. We are uh, getting him on the show here. We'll have him here momentarily. Uh, the uh, Beavers will open the season, this football season, on the road at San Jose State on Labor Day weekend. They'll be playing a Sunday game, 1230, I think, is the kickoff. It's an afternoon game, I guess it's 1230 or 230 in San Jose. But on a Sunday, they will be playing that game. And so that'll be an interesting, uh, different kind of opener. And I'm, sh- I'm sure we will have some resolution between now and then on where the Beavers will be playing in 2024, likely. Um, a lot of that, again, hinges, I think, on what happens with Stanford and Cal and the ACC and possibly the Big Ten. But Oregon State sort of waiting. I believe they have a fallback plan in place with the Mountain West Conference. I believe that is their fallback plan, and I will not be surprised if that ends up being the plan. Uh, At Research Stadium today, Scott Barnes, the athletic director, gave a tour, at least that was the plan, for media members who wanted to get a sneak peek and look at the new West Side. And here to talk about it, Nick Daschle, who covers the Beavers. What was that like? Well, first of all, what was the mood, Daschle, as you go into this this tour thing with all this other stuff hanging overhead? I don't know, maybe 40 media people and then Scott and, you know, Sarah and Kimia, these two, these two uh, senior ADs and a few people from the stadium that are, you know, working on the food end of it. Um, Scott started out by saying, you know, things are 
you know, moving along with the with the realignment, blah 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 blah. But today is not the day to talk about that. Today it's all about Research Stadium and and how fantastic this place is. And then we spend an hour going through the nooks and crannies of of the West Side, which is spectacular. It, it give, really is. Give me an idea when you say spectacular. What what are we talking about? Because I've only seen it from the outside. I haven't really walked around on the inside of it and the guts of it. I mean, some of it, obviously, the, the Joe fan isn't going to see because, you know, some of it's the, the premium seating area. But there's just lots of little touches, lots of the artwork, the, you know, big orange um, state of Oregon outline, um, things like that, beaver, you know, just different sorts of artwork that, that looks kind of cool. There's the there's a big wooden um, big wooden um, art piece on the, on one of the walls that's got you know the beaver grates kind of inlaid into it, and it really I mean it really pops. Um, things like that, you know the the seats are all you know obviously they're new and they look nice and they're you know it's just that the views are good. Uh, the press box is great. Uh, uh, it's just, you know, it just feels like some, and the, the food options, I think Beaver fans like the, you know, the Beaver Street concept because you know, regardless if you're sitting in the cheap seats or the, yeah. you know, the Are you the in the press boxes, box now? Be, Are you in the press box now? No, I, I'm in Corvallis, but I am not in the press box. Okay, good. Because no. phone's cutting out a little bit, but I'm going to stay with it because I think I'm, a, I'm betting that it's going to going to improve here. But give me an idea, like the the Beaver Street part of this. We were told all along that it's going to have the closest seats to the field in the Pac-12 conference. Do you really have that sight line from the concession area? Do you feel like the seats are closer? Uh, the, the, um, the 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 Beaver Street area is an area where everybody can everybody can walk around and eat and watch the game from there. So. That part of it, you know, everybody, and you're, and you're really pretty close to the stadium or the, the field. The seats below that are obviously even better. But even the up, I went into the upper area, I went into the upper section, sat in the seat. I didn't feel like I was that far away from the field. Anything on the west side is going to be a great seat. It, 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 yeah, the, the, the views are good. Nick Jaschel covers Oregon State for Oregon Live joining us. Um, Scott Burns says he doesn't want to talk about it, but it's hanging overhead. You've talked to Jonathan Smith. You've been around the campus today. How much is this uncertainty about the conference in 2024 weighing on Oregon State in general right now? I'm pretty happy that the, 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 the team was was focused on what they needed to do and not you know not letting this off the field stuff be distracting. You know, he did say today that. <clears throat> He did say that, you know, of course he's not naive. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen and all that. But he feels like, you know, the team is 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 kind of locked in to what they need to do this season. I mean, it's just there's just a there's just a a cloud hanging over Oregon State at the moment until they can figure out, you know, where they're headed. Every day's got new rumors, and you know, I, I you know, I, I I my my belief is they're holding on to the notion that somehow Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State can put together a deal and keep the Pac-12 together in some, you know, whether it's Pac-8, Pac-9, 10, whatever, something like that. That's that's their hope. 
I mean, it, it seems it's starting to seem a little bit far fetched, but I mean, until that door is closed, I think they got to They got to keep trying it. Um, and as you know, as you've been saying, the Mountain West is the backup option. And I guess there's this other option with the AAC, although I don't know that that's that's really going to work out. But yeah, it just feels like. I mean, it just feels like a lot of uncertainty. I, I don't know how to say. It. I mean, it's. I mean, it's even. It just feels even crappy for you know somebody like me. I mean, I just like. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I, you know, I keep reporting on it, but it's like, you know, the whole world is kind of turned upside down at Oregon State, and you, you kind of feel for these people that that had all this momentum going, and all of a sudden, you know, it, they don't know where they don't know where they're going to go the next minute. So, I yeah, what what they ought to do is go to Hawaii, just take a vacation, twenty twenty four, just go. Hey, we're going to go play in Hawaii. We'll be an independent. We'll be on the beach waiting for you. Uh, Nick Dashell with us talking about Oregon State. The, the Oregon fans and Oregon administration, you know, are talking about continuing to play Oregon State in, in the rivalry game. Do you get a sense that there are logistical problems with Oregon and Oregon State being able to meet on a football field in 2024 and, and, and the, in the short future beyond that? Our conference schedule is the one that's, that's the biggest holdup on that whole thing, is because they both, you know, they both have non-conference games pretty well scheduled through 2030. I know there's some holes, but they gotta, you know, they'd have to move games around. And then Oregon State, you know, in the case of Oregon State, they have a Mountain West non-conference game scheduled every year from here to 2030. Well, let's just say they're in the Mountain West. There's an opening, but that doesn't mean Oregon has that opening. And I'm still unclear as to whether Oregon State really wants to play Oregon from here on because, you know, there's the issue of will Oregon come to Corvallis because I don't see any way on earth Oregon State's going to keep the series going if Oregon won't come to Corvallis. And we don't know the answer to that. So there's just a lot of, you know, unknowns at this point. But until Oregon State can figure out a conference, there's really, really no way of knowing. But I don't, I, it's, it's, I've tried to kind of feel out figure out whether there's an appetite to want to play Oregon. I think a week, you know, a week removed from this decision, it's still a little raw and hard, hard to really know whether they want to keep doing it or not. Chip Kelly has come out, and I'm going to play something that Chip Kelly said about sort of what he thinks should happen in major college football. And I, uh, I do like the way Chip Kelly thinks, but he's talking about an upper division, a lower, a middle division, and it not including anything but football. Uh, here he is talking about you know what he thinks should happen. Notre Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference or anything else. Why aren't we all independent for football? And take the 64 teams in Power 5, make that one division. Take the 64 teams in Cooper 5, make that another division. We play for a championship, they play for a championship. No one else gets affected. Our sport's different than everybody else. We only play once a week. Travel's not a big deal for football, but it is a big deal for other sports. So. He's spitting some truth there, is he not? He's he's spitting what I've been saying kind of all along. Football's got to splinter off from the other sports, don't they? It just it just makes too much sense. I don't what what is the holdup, John? I I don't I don't get it. What what is the holdup to splitting football off from everything else and keeping the conferences together in every other sport? I think two things. I don't I, I don't know why. I think they're worried that if they split football off, 
that it makes it easier for football players to say, we want to be employees, we want to be paid, this is different. This is not under the NCAA umbrella. And then secondarily, how do you fund those other sports if you don't have the revenue from football to fund it? Like Stanford fosters and creates more Olympic medals than any university in the country, but they use football and Pac-12 revenue to fund the Olympic programs. And I thought, you know, Pat Forty had a great piece about, you know, hey, are we gonna? Is it gonna hurt America that there's no Pac-12 conference because Stanford is producing swimmers, divers, volleyball players? It, it's really, uh, it's really interesting. Somebody needs to put the brakes on it and talk about it. I think you're 100 percent right. So they so they split football off from everything else, and each school makes whatever revenue they make off it. Are people saying that they wouldn't use that to fund the, the other sports like they are now? That that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I don't know. There's got to be I don't know. It, there's just so much of this that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm of the mind even that that you um, take football and move it away from the Title IX stuff even. And and that's what holds up. I, I, I mean, I there's so many – the sports imbalance is because of the football numbers, the 85 scholarships, they got to match them with all the, the, the women's sports. And I've, I've always thought that they, football, since it's, it is the, the revenue driver for everything, it ought to be separate from everything, including the, you know, the Title IX stuff. But – but I'm probably alone in that thinking. No, I'm like, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I agree, like, with a, a passion of, like, 8.8. Like, you know, I'm on that end of the spectrum as well, where I believe, like, football should be its own thing. There's some things to unpack, but, you know, I have a very easy time, you know, looking at it and going, okay, this isn't like a 50-50 proposition. This isn't like a 5 on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm way over on that side where Chip Kelly's on, and I'm going, hey, why not? Why aren't they doing this? Uh, Dashiell, before I cut you loose, uh, Oregon State will open their home stadium. Uh, I believe it's UC Davis is that home opener. Do you expect some electricity at Reeser for that opener, or will that electricity come maybe on the Friday night when they play Utah or later in the year when they host Washington? And, and you know, what do you expect? Oh, I mean, there's going to be a buzz for the UC Davis game just because of the newness of the stadium, but – but I don't. I don't sense we're gonna, you know, find out what what Reeser is really capable of until the Utah game, and that, and especially if Oregon State's four and zero. I mean, if Oregon State's four and zero, it's a Friday night. That's when we're gonna find out just how loud and 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 what a home field advantage Reeser Stadium could be. Um, but you know, no, it'll, they'll, they'll definitely be some buzz. Is, is it eleven out of twelve that Oregon State has won at home? Is that right? 11, 11 out of twelve. Last twelve. You just, just 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 the USC game last year yeah. was the only one they lost in the last two years. Wow. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so, Dashiell. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Finish. I remember what I was going to say. I was. All right. just, uh, You're getting old. I'm All standing right. here trying. I'm, I'm sta- no. I'm just standing here trying to find a, a place in this room that that I can that don't lose me. So I'm standing in the middle of a room. Yeah. You're okay. solid. You're solid. Uh, Dashiell, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining us. All right. We'll see you. There he is. Covers Oregon State. Lot to, lot to unpack there. Lot to unpack. Um, he's standing in the middle of his room. He should set his phone up and do a TikTok while he's talking to us. I don't know. For the kids. Uh, did you know I have a TikTok? Uh, cha- do I call it a channel? 
Do I call it an account? What do we call it? TikTok? I what do the just, kids call that? I think it's just you have a TikTok, right? I have a TikTok. I be, I put I just put videos and stuff on it. And you know, if I'm at a stadium or whatnot and I see something interesting, I'll film the video. I'll put it on the TikTok. You can find me there if you want to. But Nick Dashiell doesn't have a TikTok. He's in this room there, apparently staying there in Corvallis uh, as he's covering the unveiling of Research Stadium. All right, we have so much more ahead right here on the BFT. Who knows what could happen? Leave it here. Well, we got the uh, Mega Millions coming up tonight. I don't know if you heard this. I'm not going to say uh, it's breaking news, but uh, I'm probably going to win this thing. I'm going to do what Scoot Henderson is doing. He He's talking about winning Rookie of the Year. I'm just going to win the Mega Millions. That's it. Tonight, I'm going to do it. I'm going to win it. I'm not going to say anything about tomorrow. I'm just going to start tomorrow's show. We're going to go on like it's business as usual. I'll probably stop at the bank on the way, put the ticket in a safety deposit box. I'll probably call uh, some tax attorney, say, hey, what do I need to know? Uh, I might drop all my socials, so if you see something like that happen, hey, Kanzano's TikTok account has gone away. Uh, he's, he's no longer on the gram. If you see If you see that happen... Might be a fair chance that I've hit the 1.55 billion Mega Millions. You also might see me buy the uh, Pac-12. I might buy the Meteorites deal, keep it all together, restore the rivalries, uh, give the uh, middle finger, so to speak, to Fox and the rest of college football that's trying to pick apart the conference like a bunch of buzzards. But, uh, you know, it's all for a greater good. So, you know, there's some philanthropy involved in that. But uh, I, off the top of the show today... We took calls, and I got to tell you, I think our listeners, the listeners of this show, I always have said this. I think you're smarter. I think it. I think it says something about you that you're here. I think you're more intelligent sports radio audience. It's no knock on anybody else, but I tune into sports radio across the country as I travel. I'll get into a rental car, I'll put on some local sports show, and I always go, man, some of these shows are dumb. Like they just are. They're they're shooting for a low common denominator. I think this show aims a little higher. Now we don't always keep it highbrow, but I you know I don't say like we're the Stanford of of uh, sports radio shows. But I think we challenge you to think a little higher. And and I think the first hour of this show was evidence of how smart the audience is. We got great calls. We had people calling in. We had a guy who won the lottery. How much did that guy win in the lottery? They called in an hour number one. Had the experience? It was a lot. It was a lot. He didn't. I don't think he wanted to say exactly how much on air, but it did was he a say lot it of off air? Did he tell you guys yeah, off air? He told he told Judah off air. Is Judah going to share it with us? I don't. I don't think so. I don't want to break. I don't want to break that guy's trust. All right. So it was a lot of money. It was. It was. It was, was it like? Was it more than like fifty million? Yeah, it was over that. Whoa. So we got. Not only do we have smart sports radio listeners, we have lucky listeners. We have good-looking listeners. I always say our audience is better looking than the average sports radio show. The numbers will suggest that more female listeners are listening to this show than any other sports radio show in the land. Also, that uh, you know, if you're listening to this show, you are probably somebody who is tuned into sports, but is you're probably that person in your household who tells everybody else what's going on. And you're coming here not just to take from this show. You're allowed to call into this show. I, I When I first started in this business, I had multiple sports radio hosts who were veterans tell me, don't take calls, callers are dumb, callers aren't going to add anything to your show, 
And so I started that first year, and I, I kind of had that mindset, like, you know, the callers can't really add anything. I very quickly figured out that the, a lot of the callers are smart and know their stuff and make me think about things I never would have thought about. And they're speaking for crying out loud for a segment of the audience. I would not agree with people who say don't take calls on a sports radio show. Now, we don't want to do it wall to wall. I have a lot to say. For example, this segment talking about how good looking you are and how smart you are. And you needed to hear that today. But I also believe that, you know, as you're looking around at other sports radio shows, you have to know when you're listening to a dumb sports radio show. You know it. You know it right away. Because they're not making you think. They're not making you feel. They're not asking you questions and, and surprising you at every turn. And this show, i got to be honest with you, I start it every day. None of it's scripted. We have the guest book. I told Steven in the first segment, hey, I think we're going to do Punch It Audio at 4 o'clock. But if... We get a bunch of, if we don't have a bunch of calls in the first segment, maybe we do it at 324. And Steven just kind of rolls with it. And, you know, at the end of uh, the final segment of hour one, I hadn't said a damn word to Steven. And all I said to him was, hey, in the last 60 seconds, all of a sudden I said, and that brings us to our big splash. And bam, Steven was on it. Steven, you were on it. Like, people don't understand that I threw you basically a 2 2 slider on the outside edge of the plate and. You uh, handled it like it was all business. I just spit on it. Just spit on it. It's a little outside. Yeah. Didn't get the black. You were not thrown by that. And I don't think the average person realizes the degree of difficulty and that a you know somebody who's sitting in your seat who wasn't smarter, who wasn't paying attention more, who wasn't on the ball more, would have missed that and it would have been a called strike three. And instead, you just, whoop, you spit on it or you hit it into the right center field gap, whatever we want to say the metaphor is today. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is you added something to today's show in hour one. Callers were great. We had great guests. If you missed any of the guests, you're going to need to go back and listen to them. Of course, we talked to John Wilner in hour two. I thought it was a really good conversation. I learned something in that talk. You know, he's talking about the possibility that Stanford and Cal are only talking to the ACC to create some leverage with the Big Ten. That's an interesting idea because I never I, I haven't felt all along that Stanford and Cal were really all that wild about going to the ACC. Uh, they want to be in the Big Ten, or they want to rebuild the Pac-12, or they want to get in a time machine and go back 10 years and fire Larry Scott. I mean, that's what Stanford would do. Stanford should just forget what they're doing right now, and they should just turn to their students and be like, listen, we invented Google. Can we get a time machine going here, get back, fix the Pac-12 conference, go back to the Larry Scott era, as they announcing Larry Scott as commissioner of the pac Ted conference in 2011 and go you're fired larry sorry and and pivot in a different direction can you know can they do that at this point that's that might be better time than stanford exploring this acc thing where they're going to travel all over the country and and uh try to find uh you know their soul in some part of the eastern seaboard uh but uh i digress i feel like we have a big week of radio we're knee deep in it right now on a tuesday i think so much more could happen in the next 24, 48, 72 hours, and I'm happy, I'm joyful that you're here for it. It makes me happy that uh, you're here and I'm having fun with this. And if I do happen to have a, uh, if I do happen to have like the, uh, one, I should say it in more like The Secret or more like Scoot Henderson, after I win the $1.55 billion tonight, see how I'm doing that? I'm drawing it near to me. After I do that, uh, I'm going to turn around. And I'm going to show up for work tomorrow. Why? Because I love doing this show. 
and I'll keep doing it until uh, until I don't enjoy it anymore, or until they tell me, hey, uh, you know, you, you got to go home. Uh, we don't need you here anymore. One of those two things will happen. But if I hit the $1.55 billion, it's tomorrow, same as business right here on this radio show. Now, we haven't heard from Judah. Does he have a sense of what he would do with $1.55 billion? Is he buying this station and has his first act firing me? Is he going to Bora Bora? Is he buying an ownership stake in the Seattle Mariners? Is he bringing Major League Baseball to Portland? What's Judah Newby going to do with the Mega Millions prize? Oh, man, so, so many good options there. Yes, but, uh, you just say yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, I would say yes, although, yeah, I would, I don't know. I, someone mentioned I would definitely keep the Pac-12 together at whatever cost. That still feels raw to me, so if I could solve that with money, I would do that uh, in a heartbeat. Or I would just find a way to, you know, make sure Oregon State's in a good spot. That That's all I really want, want to do. I would do what I want Phil Knight to do right now, which is financially backfill any holes left in Oregon State's revenue pocket by Oregon ditching them. 100% Phil Knight signed off on Oregon going to the Big Ten, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, completely. You're right. And I, you know, I, I called Mike Parker today because I wanted to know how he was doing. We were talking about a whole bunch of stuff and Mike, Mike's Mike's feeling a little low, John. It, you should have him on the show sometime. And uh, tomorrow, how about that? Yeah, he's been. It's been a whirlwind for him, you know, in a lot of ways. This this included. So, you know, we were just talking about like, do Beaver fans want to play the Ducks and all that conversation? And and you know, maybe Phil Knight gets involved with keeping this rivalry series going in a way that works out for everybody. You know, if Oregon State really is in a conference lower than Oregon then maybe that should be a payday game for Oregon State. You know, like Oregon's costing them a ton of money in this move. And maybe it's more short-term than long-term, but you know Phil Knight sprinkled a little cash flow on the Beavers before. And I just wonder, is there another role for him here to help Oregon State out a little bit? Because his blessing left them behind. We should get Mike Parker on the show. Get him on the show. Plays with a lot of emotion. I would like to get Mike Parker on tomorrow's show. That is my mission. So stick around for tomorrow's show to find out if Mike Parker is going to be on the show. We'll talk to him about what he feels amid that. How about we get Jerry Allen, too? It'd be a good time to get both broadcasters. And, you know, it's kind of like a mafia thing, you know, like Sopranos and Bada Bing. You know, it's time for a sit down. Do you think that is feasible, though, what Judah's saying? Phil Knight helping out the Beavs? I think it's real. I think a lot of us turn and say Phil Knight could be the answer to a lot of things, and I must be exhausting for him. And it's going to be exhausting for me when I win the one point five five billion. When people say, "Oh, Canzano can fix this. He's got a billion and a half dollars," but I think if if Phil Knight cared about that rivalry, he wouldn't have pushed for it in the first place. He's a visionary. He sees around the corner. I think he's thinking about Oregon's long term future long after he's gone from Earth. He's eighty five, and I think he is thinking about what comes next. On uh, you know for the ducks when long after he's gone so you know tomorrow's show I'm I make it at my mission Jerry Allen and Mike Parker get him on the show let's do that we'll have that show it'll be a smart show as well and you'll still be good looking the bald faced truth not here for a long time just a good time.